Hello and welcome to Good Gamers. I am James Smith, your host, and I am joined today by David Smith, also known online as uh, Himura Jubei or Jubei Himura, depending on what community that uh, you tend to browse at the time. Nice, nice. Uh, I we are not related, um, but we are uh, uh, of the no. kindred spirit. <laughs> Um, my father, my father, when he was in the military, he said that there were at least six Smiths in his company. So they, they had to be like D Smith, J Smith, you know, like they had to do the initial and then the last name. <laughs> uh, but oh yeah, I, even just having the name David or Dave is uh, very common, so... When I go to work, uh, people call me uh, Smitty as opposed to Dave. Oh, I've gotten Smitty many times. The uh, um, one person uh, asked me, and they said, "Is that your legitimate name?" And I replied with, "Well, that was the name that the uh, um, relocation services gave me." You know, so <laughs> the um, but fair it, enough. <laughs> It's 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 a very common name, but uh, so um, what are you uh, playing currently? Well, these days uh, I've been completely hooked on Star Wars: The Old Republic and uh, Ghost of Tsushima. I love Ghost of Tsushima. I'm a huge uh, Japanese culture fan, and I have been since I was just a little little kid. Um, I am consistently playing a game called Elite Dangerous, and I am very, very heavily involved in the community there. Mm, neat, neat. The um, um, I too, when when I was younger, was heavily into uh, that, like the Japanese culture. Um, uh, as I may have told you before, my dad was in the military, so he was very busy, and my mom was uh, working at uh, as a real estate agent slash tax preparer. You know, the IRS. And uh, so a lot of times I was left to my own devices. So um, my, I would, uh, you know, be flipping through the channels and then I saw uh, what uh, Bruce Lee. And I think it was the Tower of Death or it was the Deadliest Game, one of the two. And uh, I just remember thinking it was the coolest thing in the world. And then shortly after that, I saw Fist of the North Star and I was like, this guy is just like Bruce Lee. And, uh, you know, kind of like Steamrolled, where I, I, I had to watch all the animes as much as I could. I used to get, like, uh, like a phone book delivered to my house uh, of anime that you had to pick out. Uh, you know, and then you would mail it in. The, um, I think that was pretty interesting. You can't do that now anymore. It, it, you know, it'd just be ridiculous. Uh, but now you have uh, Crunchyroll. <laughs> exactly, I love Crunchyroll because Crunchyroll actually airs certain shows that aren't available in America, so it's like pretty neat. The um, exactly, uh, I had exactly. A, I, and that's and it's good. And the, you, not only do you get to see like the current offering, but you get to see some of the original things because there are many, many times where uh, studios will remake. Uh, an anime, either to become closer to the original source manga, 
or because they just want to give it the new shine of uh, of the modern animation. Exactly, exactly. Best example I can think of is Sailor Moon. Sailor Moon, they had... One of them was an android. One of them was, like, a lesbian. I think there was a lesbian couple in there. This was the original Japanese one. And then when it came to America, it was completely different. You know, it was... Oh, they had to rewrite it because uh, Western slash American uh, audiences were a little sensitive to certain subjects. Of course, I, I totally understand. You gotta, you gotta bring to your, to your audience, like, um, yes, I know this is a gaming podcast, but deal with it, we're talking about anime. Uh, <laughs> the, um, oh, th- this will actually relate to later topics, trust me. Okay, okay, I'm just, I'm just letting my audience know that we're on a train and sometimes it gets off the track. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Choo-choo. Um, Exactly. Uh, But I recall the first time that I noticed it, because I didn't watch Sailor Moon first. The first anime that I watched that I noticed there was a a difference was Dragon Ball, because I had seen the Dragon Ball show uh, with, you know, like the subtitles and everything. And I remember when Goku uh, fell asleep on Bulma, and like in the anime he uh, goes to check and see if Bulma has a penis or not. And she doesn't. And then he shouts, No balls! <laughs> like, really loud. And But yep, you, you don't the, see that in the, the American anime, version. Yeah. The first anime I ever watched was back in... And I was a little, little kid, so we're talking like 83, 84. And it was Astro Boy. The original run of Astro Boy. Well, yeah. I don't know how old Fist in the North Star is, but that was that was definitely it was either that or Ninja Scroll that I saw first. But um, I'm just saying that when I noticed a difference between the American and the uh, Japanese version or the international version rather, the um, I don't know if you did this as a younger man, but oh, yeah. when I uh, me and my friends when we would get together, we would play Dragon Ball the fighting game. And to the point of it being like, I don't know, 4 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Have you ever done that before? Uh, uh, not with Dragon Ball. I did that with Street Fighter heavily. Ah, Street Fighter. Would you say that if you were to be in a tournament, do you think that you would win or place at all or no? I might place, I definitely would not win because uh, the one thing in Street Fighter that I never truly mastered beyond a basic level uh, was the combo system. And you have to know how to combo in Street Fighter in order to actually be effective. That's very true, that's very true. The, um, uh, a similar game, but different, uh, Tekken. When Tekken first came out, uh, my friend was like, oh, this is the easiest game in the world. You just button mash. And that's how you win. And I was thinking to myself, well, I know, like, that's what you can do. But Tekken had this thing where it was, like, kind of didn't want you to do that. You know what I mean? Like, that's, it had a lot of chain moves. Does that make sense? Yep. And so, like, you couldn't necessarily... Oh, yeah, no, you, you had to chain. Like, it, it was fully based on actual martial arts it wasn't like they studied martial arts and then put in the frames of animation every character 
is actually based on their individual martial arts. Like, for instance, um, Jin Kazama and um, what's his dad's name? I can't remember right now. His oh, name escapes me. Oh, the um, Ka- Kazuya Mishima. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. And I was um, I was thinking of the other guy. I'm sorry. Um, but like they are fully based on karate and like when i was a teenager like it's honestly like i've always been interested in martial arts but you know how kids are and like they're like yeah that's really cool but like when it comes time to like try it out they're just like eh, i don't know if it's for me exactly um street fighter is what got me into martial arts like ryu is my favorite character of all time and i am always drawn toward characters that have a high sense of honor yeah, he definitely um, has a high sense of honor, yes. Yeah, and so because of Ryu, I went into martial arts and I took karate. And I went pretty decently far in karate, so I can actually recognize uh, certain schools of karate when I see it. And so when I see Tekken, for instance, um, Kazuya, um, Jin, and um, Jin? Yachi. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jin. Sorry. Yeah, yeah Jin. Yes. Um, they're all based on actual traditional karate. Yes, they have the Mishima style karate or um, Kazama style karate that they say in the game, but you can tell that uh, each of the characters have like a proper forward punch or, or a suiken punch. Yes, of course. Um, and their their kicks aren't like to the head type kicks. They are actually like mid mid-body to maybe maximum shoulder height kicks, which is where the effective kicks are. Now, if you were to go into, say, Kyokushin Karate, they do encourage head kicks just because when you actually spar, uh, you're not allowed to punch the other person in the head, but you can kick them in the head. And hmm. generally, if you get if you get hit by a kick in the head, you're going down. Of course. You're not just going to take that and shake that off. You're going down. So they actually went and said, okay, these characters are the karate characters. We're going to program them with proper karate moves and they are programmed to chain. So if you press uh, left punch, right punch, it will chain into a proper left-right combo. If you do it in in a proper move, there is an actual um, uh, punch sequence in a kata uh, that is actually translated into one of Jin's moves. Yes, the... So, you know... Of course. And, uh, you know, it, it's really good, the detail they go into with Tekken. So I really do like Tekken. I own Tekken 7. Uh, Tekken 5 is probably one of my favorites. Um, I like that Negan like is in Tekken. Tekken. Who, who's in Tekken? Negan from Walking Dead. Yes. I, I think that's hilarious like that he's in that. Uh, I like it because uh, Goki or Akuma is in uh, Tekken 7. There's a lot of good good people in there. Geese Howard, whatnot, but uh, the... Um, oh, yeah, Geese Howard. Oh, what a callback. Yes. That's like my era of arcade games. I used to, when I was younger, um, if I saw a Neo Geo machine, I would want to play it. And Art of Fighting or Fatal Fury was usually one of the games. Or King of the Monsters. You know, one of those. And I would be playing... I was all about World Heroes. Oh, World Heroes is great. I have World Heroes Jet on my Switch. Um, but Sweet. I, I also have World Heroes Jet on my Switch. <laughs> World Heroes Jet Perfect or something like that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely cool. Like, uh, like I said, the, the games, they were, very, they were very like appealing to me. 
And uh, yeah. I remember, like, uh, just going back to the Tekken thing real quickly, two guys that I was really good with. No, I'm not a professional gamer. I would not be able to place in any of these things because I, I just, um, I think it's, I don't really care that much to, to apply myself to a, a tournament. Like, um, I did a tournament years ago uh, called the Blockbuster World Tournament. That was years, years ago, like years ago. And, uh, yeah, uh, but that, that's the only one I did. Uh, but, uh, I remember my friend saying, uh, he was like, oh, you're going to pick, uh, Kazuya Mishima because he's the cheapest. And I, I just figured out his moves. And usually it was the, 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 the two, uh, the two front punches. And then he would do like a, a like a double kick. And then I would just hit the hurricane punch as I would call it like the circle the circle hurricane punch and then and if I missed that one I would just do the electric hurricane punch and, and then, or I would do the, the circle kick and then the sweep and it, it, he just kept falling for it <laughs> much like uh, yeah. the Lei Wulong Prey Mantis style like if you get someone in the Prey Mantis style he just keeps pecking at you and then he could just throw you if you move out of the um, but oh yeah, man! Like I, I would play Dead or Alive with my buddy, um, and like this is in the days of the PS2. Yes, and we re- we rented Dead or Alive for not fighting game reasons. Of course, uh, <laughs> of course, the the, the, and, the the physics. I get it. Yeah, and I instantly fell in love with it because Ryu uh, Hayabusa was there, and of course I know Ryu Hayabusa from the original Ninja Gaiden series from the arcade and from the uh, uh, NES. Oh, yeah, he's Boston. Yeah. are good. Oh, yeah. The Xbox ones are good. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I definitely have to go back and play those again. But, like, you can't beat the original NES uh, um, trilogy. But I got excited for that. Uh, I fell in love with the just the fighting system of it because it was, like, for me, it was one of the first accessible 3D fighters. Of course. And my buddy would always pick uh, this big Russian dude, like special ops Russian Spetsnaz guy. And he would just have this move where he would just jump at you with his knee extended. And he would always go, the knees, the knees. And he would use that move over and over again because it was really difficult uh, to get out of because he would just repeatedly just just get you with that move. And I, it was so cheap and I hated it. And But I understood that a character is only as cheap as the player makes him. Exactly, exactly. Captain Falcon had a, a similar move where he would knee you and he would knock you right out. Um, but um, that was the original Smash Brothers. Like, there was some sort of button combination oh, yeah. you had to do. And then he would... It was, like, literally a one-hit kill. It was worse than the Falcon Punch. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, oh, yeah. And my, my son is all over Super Smash Brothers. Like, my son... Like, I had to practice at... Super Smash Brothers uh, on the Switch in order to beat my son. Yeah. Because my son would just like, he would just own me. And I'm like, I'm the gamer of the family. I'm the fighting game <laughs> guy. How dare you beat me at this? And I'm like playing with Ryu. And I'm like, I'm playing with Ryu. I should know exactly how to kick your ass. And like, he's just like, no, dad, I'm playing the Inkling guy. And I'm just like running over you with a giant paintbrush. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> I mean I'm proud of him because he's beaten his old man. But like, at the same time, you got that like, 
no, I've been playing games longer than you. I should like I should school you at this. Yes, yes. The um a while back, uh, my friends' relatives had stayed over, and they were young boys. I I don't know exactly how old they were. I'm gonna guess maybe like eight or nine, maybe. And they were like, "Hey, do you want to play Street Fighter with me?" And I said, "Okay, I'll play Street Fighter with you." I picked Ken. It's usually Ken or Guile. Those are the two guys that are my main guys. And, but I, I'll play all the characters because, you know, why not? Um, but he was like, all right, I've been playing this game for a while, so I think I'm going to beat you. I said, okay. Now, a lot of times when I play a game, I let the kids win because I've had my nieces get very angry to the point where they literally pulled out the controller but, and, like, yanked it out, like, because they were wired, you know what I mean? Um, oh. And so, so uh, thank goodness there's, you know, wireless controllers now. But, they, like, and I used to just be like, oh, I have to buy a new controller now because you, <laughs> you broke it or whatever. But, um, so, yeah, I would let them win. And then, you know, sometimes they'll get a little cocky. They'll be like, ha ha, you know, I beat you, you know. And, and, and I'd be like, all right, you ready for the next round? And then I would perfect them. And then they would get angry that I perfected them. <laughs> and I'd be like, you need to be a little humble. I'm just saying. But again, I'm not an expert at Street Fighter, but it, it, it's just funny how it is uh, with kids, you know? They, they, oh, yeah. You I know, mean, kids haven't really faced a lot of hardship, so they think, like, they think they're the best and they think it's really easy. But then you have to, you have to introduce that hardship and say, look, you... If you want to do this, you got to work for it. <laughs> exactly. Because exactly. it ain't going to be given to you. Um, my, my, I have an older brother. I'm, I'm the youngest in my family, but I have an older brother. and. So, but I mean, it, it... Go on. Uh, no, please go ahead. I, my, uh, my sound was going a little weird. Oh, okay, okay. I, th- I thought you were saying something. So, um, I have an older brother, and my older brother, he... Uh, used to take judo and uh he he but he was in competitions and stuff like that and my father was like oh jimmy maybe you should do judo with your brother and i was like oh, i don't i don't want to do judo and he's like well he's like you watch all this anime why don't you you do something fun you know like get out of the house instead of you know whatnot uh you know i was i don't think it was around like 12 or so um and uh, so I was like, all right, I'll take Jeet Kune Do. And he's like, oh, all right, you want to take Jeet Kune Do? <laughs> and the, uh, the, the, uh, the person that was teaching me was, uh, for lack of a better term, very eccentric. And once tried to run over my brother and me with his Volkswagen. <laughs> oh. I don't... I don't know if he was purposely trying to kill us or just scare us, but, you know, it was like one of those, like, uh, Pink Panther kind of moments where it's like you're walking down and he just came out of nowhere. <laughs> yep. But, uh... No, like, I've, I've dealt with, uh, like, my own parents, for instance. Yeah. Because they're older, uh, they're from the boomer area, which is before video games. Um, even though it's funny because my dad is the person who introduced me to Pac-Man, which was my first video game. My mom um, loved Pac-Man. Oh yeah, like 
Oh, I have stories about that. Anyway, um, they didn't understand the escapism of video games, even though they themselves would sit on the couch and watch hours of TV. Exactly. But they couldn't understand why I would sit and play a video game for a couple of hours, you know? So I finally, like, I remember my dad getting frustrated. He's like, why don't you go outside? Why don't you play football? Why don't you play baseball? And stuff like that. And I'm like, well, I'm okay at baseball. And I kind of like baseball. But I suck at football. I don't know the rules. I don't play hockey because I'm not that great of a skater. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like, this is why I don't do it because I kind of suck at it and I kind of don't want to play something I suck at. And he's like, well, is there anything you're interested in? And I finally turned to him and I said, I want to do karate. So he did karate. He's like, all right, we'll do karate. That's that's something. And from then on, <clears throat> my video game playing definitely dropped. I mean, it didn't drop as much as he would hope, but it dropped because I was doing karate. I was practicing karate. Like I was doing all sorts of martial arts. I even picked up kendo. Uh, I picked up iaido. Nice. Uh, I actually did aikido as well. And, you know, it, it was fun for me. And since then, you know, growing up, I've had friends come to me and they would complain, oh, Dave, my kid plays so much video games and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, what are you trying to do to tell them, you know, to get them to do other things? So I'm like, well, I'm trying to get them interested in sports. And I, I would say, are they interested in sports? Well, no, but I was. So, like, <laughs> why, why wouldn't they? And I'm like, because they're not you. Very you true. know? they're a different person this is a different era like did you play with a hoop and a stick like your grandparents did (laughs) no so you're gonna have to be creative what games is he playing oh he plays you know call of duty and i'm like take him to a paintball 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 yeah yeah do do paintball they'll learn that you know when you get shot it hurts (laughs) it does (laughs) yeah and you know bring a cop wear your safety glasses bring a hat you know put some padding on him he'll enjoy himself he'll tire himself out he'll probably hate having to run so much but he'll have fun because he's actually using something that's like a weapon he'll learn that he has to pick an aim he can't just like rely on auto aim or of course you know moving a stick he has to move his body he has to run he has to duck he has to hide you know yes um you know what else what else is he into well he likes minecraft okay well get some wooden nails build some stuff with him like, nice. parents have to understand that when we were young, some of us had video games, some of us had TV, some of us had sports. And there were some kids where the parents were like, why are you only into sports? Why can't you do schoolwork? Some parents were like, why are you sitting there like a lump on TV, you know, when you could do other things? Like, you have to find the activity that interests the kid. Indeed. You know, like... My son plays Fortnite, much as I hate to admit it. Of course, a lot of kids play and, Fortnite. <laughs> yeah. So my partner and I, um, she suggested, well, why don't we get him a Nerf gun set? And I'm like, oh, my God, that's brilliant because he was, you know, he's too young to really take to the paintball of course. field. And um, so, yeah, we got him, like, Nerf guns. I have a Nerf gun. Well, no, it's technically his, but I kind of bought it for myself. Uh, and uh yeah and so like we'll just go out and we'll like go shoot each other with nerf guns and you know it's fun and he gets to learn things and i'm and here i am training him like a soldier to hold it correct not put your finger on the trigger unless you actually want to kill something 
Mm. You know, mm. like I, I take it seriously. So he has to, he has to learn how to hold the weapon properly and give the weapon the proper respect. Then we have fun. Of course, you know? of course. They, so, um, I think it was. Uh, I don't remember how old I was. Maybe it was like fifteen. I want to say it was like fifteen. And my my dad took me and my brother to a shooting range. And he's like, "What do you want to shoot?" And I was like, "Oh, the Magnum looks pretty cool." Let me try the Magnum. And my dad goes, you are not trying the Magnum. And I go, but dad, why? And he goes, because you don't know how to handle the force of a Magnum. Because um, you may have seen on TV that the Magnum looks cool. But the, uh, but the actual force of it, I don't know, what do they say? With like five, ten pounds kickback or something like that? But um, point being is that if you don't hold the gun correctly or you don't have the strength to hold the gun you're going to hurt yourself. Like, just from the gun itself, not the bullet. <laughs> and so, he's like, I'm going to get you uh, this standard gun. I, I can't remember. It's like, it's a little tiny black pistol. Um, I can't think of the name Probably of it. Probably a 9 millimeter. Yeah, maybe. And he's like, he's like, you could do this. This is very simple. So, he's like, all you gotta do is just... There were water bottles, and you had to shoot the... You know, they were bottles filled with water, I should say. And you had to shoot, uh, you know, just hit it once. <laughs> I missed the target several times. And, but the, the, the gun uh, almost fell out of my hand. And this was, you know, like a thing. And my, my brother was like, oh, that's so fun, you know. And I just, I just remember thinking to myself, like, my dad wasn't, if my dad didn't teach me these things, just imagine being like in the, like the zombie apocalypse or something like that and being like, I'm going to get this weapon because it's cool. And then you injure yourself from using the weapon. <laughs> oh. Exactly, exactly. Like, um, man, the first time I picked up a, a C7, which is the equivalent of, a, of an M16 when I was in the military. Yes. Like, I remember kid, like, I joined the military when I was eh, roughly about 22. Okay. And it was 2002. And there were a lot of kids there that were like 17, 18, 19. And they're just like, oh, man, I'm going to be able to do this, that, and the other thing. And um, my dad, my uncle, uh, had taken me hunting before. So I knew what a kickback of a rifle felt like. So I was all prepared. And I'm getting like hunkered down and holding it properly and everything. And these guys are like, Oh yeah, I'm just gonna do this, and they shot one round, and it literally jumped from his hand. And I don't think I've ever seen the sergeant move so fast. And he just ripped the gun out of the kid's hand, picked him up by his collar, and like, it's treated so seriously in the in the Canadian military, um, how you handle your weapon. Yeah. That if you screw up, it, the punishment can range from. Um, having to be taken away by the military police uh, to just being straight up kicked out right then and there. Yes, yes. That's so I don't know what it's like in the American military. Um, I do know that the difference between the two countries are, are very, very different how we treat weapons. That's true. Um, I don't yeah, know. I've Canadian never military. served in the military. If my dad were here, he could tell you, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, like, I remember, like, getting a little bit off topic uh i have family in ohio because my mom is from ohio gotcha and so i would go visit family and my uncle i think at the time was um like a prison guard 
and you know wanted to be chummy and stuff and i'm like all right well next time i come down i'll have my you know my gun license and we can go to the range and shoot and he looks at me and he's like what do you mean gun license and it had it had to click for me for like a minute or two and i go oh right we're in the states a lot of states don't have gun licenses you can True. literally just pick up a gun and shoot which to me honestly is bizarre um but like, that that's a topic for a different type of pod- podcast yeah um but yeah the big thing is rounding back is that people if you don't want your kids to play so much in the way of video games find something that relates to what they're playing at the time um my my son currently like aside from doing nerf guns my son is learning how to mod games right now on the computer oh that's fun (laughs) and he's 10 yeah, he's 10 years old, and he's learning how to mod Baldi's Basics, which, okay, is a very simple, simple game. But he's doing it, which was a lot more than what I could do when I was 10. Of course. So I yeah, remember I, when I played The Sims, I, and I would mod The Sims games. I don't know if you ever played The Sims, but I used to love oh yeah. mixing, messing with that game. <laughs> I remember messing with the original Warcraft and replacing all of the sounds. <laughs> um, downloading Doom mods. I I don't know if it was day. Doom or if it was another game because I I've never played those games, but there was one where they modded the boss to be like Macho Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and it was uh, it was I remember seeing like this giant dragon and the dragon's breathing fire. <laughs> And it's yep. screaming, oh, yeah. And I thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, there was, like, for the original Quake, there was an amazing alien mod. Like, just completely modeled after the original Nostromo. It had three scripted parts where you actually ran into the alien. And then after that, it had some basic, very, very basic AI of the alien, you know, trying yes. to hunt you afterwards. Uh, it was almost like a precursor to... Uh, um, alien uh isolation okay and man it was it was good like for late night late 90s like mid to late 90s that was amazing and that is actually a big thing for for me one of my passions is i love retro gaming of course but i also love when a game gets a remake and it's done right of course and i have said this time and time again golden standard for a properly remade game is DuckTales Remastered. Hmm. I, I never beat the either reason. of those. <laughs> but oh, I did no. play them. Like the original the original DuckTales on NES was fun. It was honestly, it was a lot of fun. It was colorful. It was catchy. Um, but the remastered is anybody who's ever played the original NES and watched the DuckTales cartoon um, this is honestly the best game you could ever pick up. Capcom did an amazing job with it and not only did they just like they didn't just up the graphics and sound they played homage to it and they played homage to the original cartoon so it was like like it was like your dream of actually playing the cartoon they they hand drove hand drew the sprites hand drew the backgrounds like people from Disney uh they got a lot of the original voice actors to do the dialogue nice um yeah, like anybody who was alive, like they literally, if you if they were alive and they were on the original Ducktales, they did a voice in the remaster. They 
added to the story without changing the story. Mm. So they actually have an introductory level um, that teaches you how to play the game. Whereas, of course, on the NES, they didn't have those. You literally were just throwing the game. You know, here you go, figure it out. Exactly. If you didn't read the instruction manual. Um, so they had, yeah, so they had this introductory level and it taught you how to play the game and how it taught you how to do the moves. And it was a, it was a good way to introduce the story of the game, you know, and they, I think they added one or two things at the very end of the game as well, hmm. but like the level stayed pretty much the same. Um, the sound effects were very similar. Um, so it, it was just, it was just like every kid's dream. And that, that's why it's a golden standard because you can tell that they, they enhanced it without changing it too much. Gotcha, gotcha. And Light tweaks. That's, yeah. And that's what you want to aim for when you remake a game. So uh, Resident Evil 2 remake yeah. that came out. That was a brilliant remake. I liked it. Like, I, oh, I loved that game. Like, I played the absolute shit out of it. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I played I played it so much. I loved how Mr. X would chase you. I would have so much fun with that. Um, they upped the graphics. Did you see the video the well. where where Mr. X is coming after Claire and then Claire pulls out a, a grenade launcher and he turns back around? Did you, did you see that video? Oh, yeah. I thought that was the funniest yep. video because uh, um, when you unlock the grenade launcher, like, uh, it seems to be like all the monsters are afraid of you. Like, I remember beating, like, the main boss, I think, in under two minutes. I just shot him, like, three times, and he was just like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, like, that's a beautiful remake. Uh, Resident Evil 3 was a good remake, but they they forgot one key element. And for me, that was the key element that made Resident Evil 3, like, good when I played it on the PlayStation that was nemesis would randomly show up he did yes then he would say stars yeah i remember yeah yeah all you would hear is stars and like crap he's on the same screen i am and he's coming for me and he would chase you for a few screens of course yeah um whereas in the remake every one of his appearances was scripted oh that's different and i hated that like honestly if they just made um nemesis be like mr x again yes like yeah okay i could see after dealing with mr x and resident evil 2 how people would probably dump on that but honestly if they changed that and made nemesis show up like actively chase you throughout this throughout the story yeah or at least you know randomly show up after you you know run away for a little while um that that would make that game like near perfect i agree um, the um I, I don't know, I don't 100% remember, but I think it was the Samurai Edge mode, or there was a, a, a zombie mode where the, there would be a zombie that would constantly be chasing you through the whole entire game, and uh, it was meant to, uh, I guess, for speedruns or something, but I always found that, that yeah. mode interesting. Very similar to um, oh, yeah. the, uh, the hunk and tofu things, where you had limited resources, yes. you had to get through quickly. You know, it was it was it was always a, a good a good game. Um, exactly, exactly, and I mean, like, there are bad remakes too. Now, one remake that I would say is more of a reimagining than a remake is Final Fantasy VII. 
That is true. Uh, it's definitely a reimagining. Yeah, like I know, I know people love Final Fantasy VII. It's my favorite. Full disclosure: it's not mine, and that's because everybody loved it so much it became overly hyped for me. So while I enjoy it for what it is, um, I think the hype really killed Final Fantasy VII for me. And my final, my favorite Final Fantasy will always be four, followed by six, mm-hmm. followed by eight. First one and was seven. I think the first one I ever played. So. Yeah. Oh, I played the original. <laughs> I played the original when it came out on the NES. So I have fond memories of that kicking my butt like no tomorrow. <laughs> Do you, can you suplex a train? <laughs> no, that's in six. I just wanted to throw that in there. I just like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, that that was also an amazing scene. Um, but Final Fantasy VII remake, it's good. It is very, very very good yes and i watched my partner play it because she loves final fantasy 7 um and i watched her playthrough of it which is why i did not watch trisha's playthrough um trisha's playthrough is pretty funny (laughs) oh i i imagine it was um and uh yeah so i watched her her play through it and she loved it it was great it filled in a lot of holes it did a lot of good things did a lot of weird things and of course we're not going to spoil it here of course um but uh they uh they did a good job with it but i would definitely call it more of a reimagining so far um because i have final fantasy 7 on, on steam which yes. means i can mod it so i can actually make it a, a an hd remix without changing the game of course of course um and for anybody out there who's listening definitely do that if you want the classic experience uh and i mean the remake is amazing don't get me wrong but if you want the classic experience get it on pc there's all sorts of amazing mods for it uh that you can bring it up to you know semi hd you know 1080p nice quality um so there's that yeah now if if we go into the realm of bad remakes there's lots of them and the sure. absolute trash trash tier remake is when they tried to do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, I think they tried to redo Turtles in Time I think it was Oh, I Way remember there was reshelled but I don't I don't think that yes. was it but it could be wrong I think, yeah, I think it's reshelled and I can't remember if that's like supposed to be a remake of Turtles in Time or not uh, maybe it was they were trying to do like the original arcade game. I don't know, but that was a terrible remake. <laughs> like they did, they did not get the source material whatsoever. Um, <clears throat> because yeah. you have to understand, when you remake a game from a certain era, you have to understand the source material. So Capcom knew that when it came to Ducktales, they understood the source material. They understood the era it came from. They understood their audience yes. was going to be people who played the original game knew the original cartoon so they they had a direction if you're going to take a game like the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the arcade game um, or uh, Turtles in Time yeah. both of them very classic yeah, uh, side-scrolling beat-em-up brawlers amazing amazing games on their own in the 16-bit era but when they made it 3D they did not use the 80s cartoon motif which is what the two games are based on yes um they tried to change it to a more modern slash comic book style uh they did not match the gameplay which was a 
quite literally the action was on the left and the right and then you just moved along the plane up and down as well yeah but the action was never up down up or down the action was either left or right so you would just move up and down to move to a different position but the guy was always to the left of you or to the right of you in this game it was fully 3d it was 360 degrees of possible fighting which you know it became too much yes <clears throat> and you know that could be almost forgiven if they just kept the motif of the original games it's very possible it could have been it could have been done differently um uh, i was thinking yeah. before um i never beat this game but do you think that they would ever do a remake of Darkwing Duck or no? I think if they were, and I was really hoping they would, and there's always a possibility that Capcom will, as long as they still have, you know, ties with Disney. Um, because the original Darkwing Duck was actually very well received. People, like, did enjoy the game. And Darkwing Duck is one of those cult characters. Of course. Where, um, they weren't as popular, like, he wasn't as popular as DuckTales. No. He did have Launchpad and Quack and uh, the inclusion of Gizmo Duck, which added some validity to his cartoon. Um, but Darkwing Duck was more of a cult classic. Hmm. Like, DuckTales was still immensely more popular, and Darkwing Duck was popular, but I would, I would call him more the, the Disney cult classic. Okay. Would you say um, Tailspin so, is, is in the similar realm, or no? Tailspin is in the set is in a similar realm, yes. Okay. Uh, I think Darkwing Duck is slightly more liked because Tailspin kind of hit that weird niche thing where they were kind of trying to do the Jungle Book, but in a slightly more modern slash fifties era, hmm. and they couldn't really decide. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So there, there was a little confusion on that universe. But will they remake Darkwing Duck? I'm hoping so. I don't know when. And I think that depends on how Disney handles the franchise because there's, I, I know I've heard rumors that they're thinking of bringing it back. Hmm. Uh, it's available on Disney Plus, so people can definitely watch it and sort of fall in love with it again. And, and he had a colorful cast of characters, so. He did. Yeah, so Darkwing Duck is definitely prime remake ability. And the thing is, is like when it comes to characters like Launchpad and Gizmo Duck, they already have those made from DuckTales Remastered. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. So Very they, true. Yeah, so they do have some resources there to work with. So I won't say the game is like, you know, fully fleshed out for them, but they they do, they can save a little bit of money because there are some resources that are already there. They can totally build the game on that engine because that engine was made for, uh, you know, the Disney animation. Of course, of course. Do, do you think that they... Um, well, there are two games that I have in mind. Uh, Bad Dudes and Golden Axe. Maybe Altered Beast. Do you think any of those games will be continued, or do you think they'll always be considered to be retro games and never redone? Now, that's a hard one, because Altered Beast has its sort of charm as a retro game. Um a lot of the side scrolling in it is actually automatic uh, so you don't actually control how much of the screen gets revealed it's sort of on its own um, it moves on its own yes it pushes uh, you what's that called? literally pushes you <laughs> yeah but there's a, there's a name for that and I can't remember what the name is for it it's kind of like a roller coaster or something like that anywho yeah um, 
Altered Beast has that charm, and one of the best charms that I remember from Altered Beast um, is the opening line when you start the game, Wise from your grave. Indeed, you know, yes. Had sort of digitized El- Elmer Fudd. I guess it was supposed to be Zeus, but at the time you didn't know it was Zeus. <laughs> I, um, I just thought it was some old creepy dude. I literally. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then you just like beat the crap out of like bad guys and then power up. Yes, exactly. Know? And that has its own charm. So I think if they were to remake Altered Beasts, I think it would lose its charm, to be honest. Hmm. Um, and that's not to say I don't want to see a remake of Altered Beasts, but they would definitely have to do it right. Of course, of course. Um, and, and the big thing is they're going to have to get the art style right. Definitely, definitely. I, I don't know. Aside from that, like they would have to keep the gameplay similar. Like, it, they would, honestly, maybe a little bit more exposition do not change much of anything of the game um definitely upgrade the art, art style for more hd slash 4k mm. which honestly would not be difficult they would just have to make it very greek inspired oh definitely they don't even have to make it 3d they just have to they can keep it 2d um but they would definitely have to be very greek inspired yes um keep away from too cartoony but don't make it too realistic I, it's a very difficult medium to try and find you know of course the um uh, i don't know if you played now. this role-playing game but uh it was called legend of dragoon for the playstation um that needs a remake like no tomorrow i want that done today i i, I remember thinking to myself when i played this game i was like oh this is a cool game and then and then i think maybe they, there was like an HD one, but I was um, I I never saw it, uh, and then it just got removed from the store, and I was just like, why, why, why did uh, Sony stop making this game? I'm sure that there's some sort of like problems that we're unaware of, but uh, I just thought that was such a a cool game because one, you you have the cool fighters, and then two, you could turn into dragons or dragons. I just and they had all these cool powers, you know. Yeah, no, like, that, that game, honestly, I think that game would be amazing as a remake. <clears throat> the big thing is, is when they do a lot of JRPGs, they tend to want to make it too anime-like. Yeah. And I I think Legend of Dragoon would only benefit if they did it more of a modern Final Fantasy style, hmm. um, where it's 3D, it's got those anime elements but it's not it's not anime so think of like final fantasy 7 remake or final fantasy 15 something like that would work very well yes i'm just curious about this and it's not in part one the remake of final fantasy part one but do you think in the later parts of the final fantasy remake are they going to include the golden saucer and if they do do you think it's going to look like Las Vegas or no? I definitely think they're going to uh, have the Golden Saucer. I think that I think that's honestly a given. Many people were actually expecting that in part one. Um, it's such a... I won't call it a pivotal point of the game, but it's definitely one of those places where it's, it's such, such a staple of that game that they're definitely going to have it. Is it going to be like Vegas? Yes and no. 
like they're definitely going to make it look more Vegas-y, but Vegas is a city filled with multiple um, casinos. Of course. Golden Saucer is a single casino with just multiple activities. So I think they're if they're going to do anything, they're going to make it possibly... Think of it like a mix of Vegas slash Carnival. Hmm, maybe, maybe. I'm so curious to see how the Chocobo racing is going to go because oh, yeah. that was oh, like yeah. a big thing. Uh, but oh definitely that's definitely going to be a thing but they got to do it right that's that's going to be the trick and i think that's where they're going to probably spend a lot of a lot of time is getting that right um but anyway to circle back to one of the games you were talking about you asked about bad dudes yes um now bad dudes i think could work as a remake but only if they bring back and I hate to say this because they've already done it once and it was done extremely well. Uh, Double Dragon. Oh, yes, I remember that. The Xbox. It was really, really fun. High five me, bro! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Double Dragon Neo was amazing. I loved it. They, they literally took everything 80s and blew it up. And that was amazing. Everything was over the top. And, like, they didn't have to, to do it in that way. But it just... It worked. It worked very well. Yes. So, <clears throat> I would I would say that is a definite, a definite good remake. That is definitely a good remake or reimagining of the game. Um, but definitely, um, they would have to make a more classic remake of Double Dragon before Bad Dudes actually could make a splash because they they have to sort of bring back that brawler genre. Gotcha. Gotcha. I have a question for you. Who do you think would win in in, in an all-out brawl? Do you think that the Lee brothers could beat Bad Dudes? Oh, yeah. Yeah? You think so? Yeah, hands down. If it was was an all-out, like, gang-style brawl, I think the Lee brothers would put down the Bad Dudes pretty easy. Because you got to think, Bad Dudes didn't really traverse the world. The Lee brothers did. Mm. They got more experience. So yeah, so if we have to like compare like um, like one of those shows and compare fighting styles and things like that, the Lee brothers have sort of the traditional Chinese martial arts going with them, um, mixed in with uh, you know Japanese uh, jujitsu and, and kempo. Yes, but they've lived on the streets enough, like not lived on the streets, but they they've been on the streets enough to know how the average fighter fights yeah and just because you do martial arts doesn't mean you'll do well in ufc or in a bar fight it's very true yeah so they they've also been trained in one hit blows so they knock you down fast they're not there to win a match they're there to take you out exactly they want to get going yeah and as far as i remember the bad dudes weren't weren't trained properly in any sort of martial arts they were just like straight up brawlers um so they would lack the discipline to really analyze the style of fighting that the lee brothers would be using and come up with a proper strategy to counter them gotcha. um now a lot of times in, an, in a real fight it's the quick thinking and strategizing that'll win uh knowing when to throw the punch knowing when to when to block basically reacting to your opponent of course and you 
you get that through training. You don't get that through brawling. Through brawling, it's basically like, well, you can punch hard, but if you can't take the hit hard, then you're going to lose. Whereas in martial arts, like, yes, you are trained to take the hit, especially if you take uh, Kyukushin Karate. Kyukushin Karate literally trains you to take the hit because part of the training is stand there while this guy punches you at 60% power constantly for five minutes. You know? Yes. Um, and I'm, I am not joking. I'm not exaggerating. That is an actual thing. You have to stand there and they will give you body shots for five minutes at 60% of full strength. I've seen it before on YouTube, like uh, a, a guy doing that. Um, I also uh, saw uh, um, the one where you have to, uh, I guess it's called aerial uh, spatial awareness, where the guy, the guy will, be, he'll, you'll know he'll be right behind you, but you have to know where the hit is going to come from. And you have to move accordingly. Did you see that one? Uh, that is in a couple of different martial arts, not Kyokushin. Um, I just thought it was cool. Yeah, that's definitely in ninjutsu. And I have also trained in a little bit of ninjutsu. Um, Like real stuff, not not the, oh, I dress up in black pajamas. (laughs) Um, No, because there's guys like that. They'll be like, no, I'm a ninja. And they'll dress up just in like the black pajamas or black key. And be like, I know what I'm doing. But I've studied the actual thing. So I know what stances that should be taught first. I know the mindset and the actual like mental training that you have to sort of get into in the higher levels in order to you know know you're actually training it properly of course so having that sixth sense is part of the training um but anywho yeah no the lee brothers would stomp bad dudes no tomorrow i have another team that i'm curious uh singular fighters rather do you think that ryu could defeat one of the altered beasts. Um, good, good question. Um, and actually, depending on what part of the world you're in, I will not correct you on your pronunciation of his name. Um, in Jap- in Japanese, it's actually pronounced Ryu. Okay. Uh, it's just pre- it's said really fast, so it almost sounds like Ryu, but they just say it like Ryu. I'm used to saying Ryu. I apologize, but that's... Oh, no, no worries. I used to say that all the time, and then I was actually corrected by one of my Japanese friends. But R- um, Ryu? Ryu? Yeah, Ryu. Ryu. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, now, see, that's an interesting one because Ryu has not only the experience and the training he doesn't fight animals and that's where the ultra ultra beast uh character would have an advantage so if they transform into the wolf man or into the bear um not only are they stronger um due to the animal instinct but they can also hone in on those animal instincts though the better sight just the amount of thickness that the bear has yeah things like that um the tiger you know, so I think it would be a hard fight. Um, and of course, the animal instinct is to kill, not to not to defeat, but to kill. Yeah. So there is that um, murderous intent that he has to get past. Now, Ryu has, on many occasions, fought against uh, Goki or Akuma, and um, 
part of Akuma's character isn't that he's really evil, it's just he's the dark side of martial arts. He's that killing intent. He's that guy who, he doesn't just fight to win. His his matches are death matches. You fight to the death. Um, which is widely considered nowadays as the dark side of martial arts. So Akuma is actually a very honorable character. He detests, for instance, M. Bison, uh, because M. Bison is all about domination, and Akuma doesn't like that. Uh, Akuma is also very good with kids, apparently. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. Which is, Sorry, just laughing. Yeah, which is strange enough. Like, it, it's been known, uh, the series designers of, uh, of Akuma, the different directors that have taken the Street Fighter series, have said that if there was a child in danger, uh, Akuma would be the first to rescue and punish the perpetrator. Um, so it, it, he's a very interesting kind of complicated character. He's very simple, and yet there's that little bit of complication. Anywho, so Ryu has experience fighting that murderous intent, but it's not necessarily animalistic. So I think it would be a very, very, very close match. And it, honestly, it could go either way, 50-50. Hmm. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, the, um, what was I going to say? The the outcome of, of uh, fights is always interesting because I remember when I used to watch uh, UFC when I was younger uh, and th- you know they're obviously a lot more restricted now when, but I remember Hoist Gracie he would be in a match at, are you familiar with Hoist Gracie? oh yeah no trust me okay. I was collecting martial arts magazines when the first UFC was going on so yeah I know all about him Ken Shamrock yeah. yeah. Okay, well, Hoist Gracie, I remember seeing a match where he literally got into the ring, they started, he did one move, the guy went down, end of match. And I was just like, I was like, this is the awesomest thing ever. <laughs> like, uh, maybe not for the guy who got watch, hit. What? I'm sorry? Yeah, if, if you actually watch, like, a real martial arts masters match, yeah. it, it is done in one or two moves. Exactly. Because... Exactly. The, the masters for the most part they're sizing each other up they're trying to sense they're looking for that little minute muscle movement everything so really it's whoever attacks first most of the time is the person that loses most of the time because it's the person reacting who you know as soon as he sees what's coming he'll know exactly how to counter it and that counter is you know, again, goes back into the day where a martial arts match was quite literally a death match. Yeah. And, um, you know, that counter was, is meant to end the match. Right, true. They, um, I remember uh, uh, for college I did a, um, a thesis on Bruce Lee because my teacher said I could pick anything. So I was like, oh, I'm obviously going to pick Bruce Lee. And uh, so I did a lot of research on Bruce Lee and I found out that when Bruce Lee was uh, when he came to America, I'm not going to give you like the whole story, but when he came to America and he was known as a, a fighter, people like stagehands, anybody wanted to fight Bruce Lee. And he would just be like, all right, come fight me. And then he would do one move and then he'd be like, all right, go back to your job, you know? And it's like, yep. it was just like that kind of thing where it was, it was just like, why are you wasting my time? You know, <laughs> it was, it was pretty amusing. Yep. Yeah, no, Bruce Lee was incredibly good at what he did. Um, And, of course, he he 
pissed off a lot of uh, traditional Chinese uh, martial arts masters. Of course. In fact, something like that is actually happening in southern China right now. There is actually a, a mixed martial artist who is proving a lot of these traditional martial arts fighters to be, you know, fraudulent because a lot of them haven't been in a real fight. So they're just like, well, my traditional martial arts is so good because it's been in, you know, this country for thousands of years. Of course, I'm going to beat this guy easily. And of course, the mixed martial artist, he's not set by rules. So yeah, so, and the mixed martial arts fighter has been in several realistic fights. Um, so of course, when they fight, the traditional martial artist loses. Uh, and unfortunately, the the MMA guy, he just gets dumped on because yes. in China, if you make a fool of the traditional martial arts, it's like you're making a fool of China itself. So <clears throat> he's unfortunately lost a lot because he proved him wrong. And he's really just trying to say like, you know, traditional martial arts has their place, but if you don't have the real world fighting experience to add to that, yes, like it's basically just you're getting healthy, you're not learning how to fight. <laughs> True. I, I don't remember the exact words, but uh, when I was watching an interview with Bruce Lee, the guy I think asked him, what makes you such uh, a great fighter? And Bruce Lee said, he was just like, um, it's about being, uh, you know, you have your core principles, your, your foundation. And he says, once you understand your foundation, you can customize them to your own fitting. And once you know yourself and you've mastered it, that it's like a limit. It's like unlimited potential. You know, again, I'm just paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly what he said. But I always thought that was very interesting because that could, could that could apply to anything, not just fighting. You know, it's like if you're good at accounting, once you get the bare principles of accounting down, then you just put your own spin on it. And, you know, I'm just giving you an example. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, I mean, it's the same in music, too. Right. And that's I mean, that's another thing that I absolutely love when it comes to gaming. Like when I was a kid. Yes game soundtracks were better than movie soundtracks. Like, oh, so many times I had, that I listen to game soundtracks, yeah. I had this old 80s boombox and I would buy blank tapes, stick it in there, hold that boombox to the TV and record like the Street Fighter soundtrack. <laughs> nice. I would record <clears throat> the Final Fantasy VI soundtrack, the Chrono Trigger soundtrack. You know, and I would listen to that on my on my Walkman before I had a CD Walkman, mm. and so it amazed me back in the '90s. I would go to my comic book shop, and my comic book shop would have like actual game soundtracks on CD that the dude ordered from Japan, and that blew my mind. Oh yeah, yeah. And like, like uh, uh, Nobu Uematsu, uh, who of course did a lot of the Final Fantasy soundtracks from like one right up until nine, I think it was. Mm, Ten, yeah. I think. Uh, and also helped uh, finalize the soundtrack of Chrono Trigger. Those those were my movie soundtracks. Those were the things that I dreamt of when I when we played music in music class in high school. Those were the things I wish I had the sheet music to. Yes. And just like put it down and say, let's play this. 
um, just because so much of that music had such wonderful emotion and memories to go with it um, the, that you were directly involved in because you were playing the game. Of course, they would repeat the... I d- um, for uh, International Business, I think it was, I had to do a report on an entrepreneur. And so I was just like, uh, well, I could... I could pick so-and-so, uh, I think it was, I was trying to pick, uh, I can't remember his name offhand, but uh, he wasn't like an entrepreneur. Uh, so I ended up picking uh, this Japanese uh, um, music composer. Uh, he composed stuff for like Xenogear and various other things. I can't remember his name, his name escapes me. But uh, he was the first, first person to ever play video game music at the Tokyo Dome. He was the first person to do it. And like, uh, and, and I just remember thinking to myself, like, oh, um, that's, that's quite a milestone because now, like, you know, like they play like Halo theme songs and Persona theme songs, whatever. It's a whole, it's a whole market now. But, um, I just remember reading. It's huge. Like, uh, I think the guy you were thinking of, because I just quickly looked at my uh, my second screen here, uh, Yasunori Mitsuya. Yes, yeah, that's 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 him. Yeah, because uh, I I remember reading about him, and he was uh, saying that he was a young man. He didn't necessarily want to get into video games, but I think his father like kind of like was like, you need to do something with your life. So he went to, I think it was Nintendo or Square Enix, one of the two, or Squaresoft at the time, and was told, yep. like, oh, you, you, you're a cocky guy, but I like your initiative. You know, because he came off very brash and rude in the interview, according to the, the material that I came across. And, uh, yeah. and then he, just because he was a good worker, and he, he, he ended up being able to do the soundtrack to Xenogears, and and of course, Xenogears became a very popular game, um, but Xenosaga not so much. That's just my opinion. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was impressive how he went from being a guy that was just like, I don't really want to do this, to a guy that's like, Hey, I'm playing at the Tokyo Dome. It's very interesting, you know, the how it how things oh, yeah. come about. Like, uh, did you? Oh yeah, and like uh, Nobuo Uematsu, like he. Not only did like Final Fantasy and like all the stuff everybody knows him for, but he also transcended genres. Uh, he made the you know rock metal band the Black Mages, which j- basically just turned all of the Final Fantasy music into metal songs. <laughs> yes, and that was friggin' fantastic. And I'm censoring myself because I get excited about this. Like I'm a metal guy. I love heavy metal. Ooh, I metal metal is awesome. Favorite band in the yeah, my favorite band in the whole world is Metallica. My favorite uh, is Iron Maiden. Favorite. There you go. My second favorite band is like Five Finger Death Punch. Um, I love Megadeth. So like being a teenager in the 90s and, you know, listening to Metallica and Megadeth and like people like that, Pantera. And then like you lo- you also on the other end of the spectrum, you love all of this melodic and beautiful orchestrated uh, music from video games and like you're just sitting there and you'd be like man it'd be really cool if they crossed over and then suddenly the black mages come out yes. and you have like battle of the four fiends in metal you have um the uh the 
battle theme from Final Fantasy VI in metal, which is honestly one of their best songs. And then, of course, um, for everyone, you have One Winged Angel. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the Advent Children cover of that is, like, phenomenal. Like, if, if you ever, ever saw Advent Children. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course the guitar, the co- the the choir, they just meshed so perfectly. <laughs> oh yeah, and like right right before that, like honestly, the PlayStation era, um, like there's so there's so many eras I can get a, get into about music and things like that. Like the 16-bit and 32-bit eras um, were amazing uh, because not only did you have like the synthesized um, music of the Super NES sort yeah. of trying to do its best to make a full orchestra um but you also went to the playstation which is cd technology so you can actually have real recorded or better recorded instruments very true and like games like uh symphony of the night just blew me away for their for like how wonderful and and orchestrated and deep that music was and from like one and one end of the spectrum it sounded like this mix of symphonic rock uh for the entrance and then it would hit you with this like semi-traditional very slow paced um very melodic uh type of music in the uh, uh in the chapel area yes. to then you go to the uh shoot what was the thing I remember the soundtrack was called The Dark Prince and it was in uh, one of the mid-sections of the game and it was just like full-on metal. Um, and then it also then went to like very basic piano pieces and hmm. like the composer of, of that game, which I'm going to look up very quickly here, um, sure. is just absolutely um, just was a visionary. Like I bet. Yeah, they... Um... When I was in uh, college, I had to take the history of video game music, which is basically where you uh, listen to video game music from different eras, and you have to identify how they made the music, you know, like uh, from saw waves to square waves or to actual recorded music, you know. And um, I remember listening to... uh, I think the game is called Pon Pon or Patapon. Anyway, it, it you're like this little this little marching band, and it's your job to uh, move forward in the game by playing this music, and you have to hit the right the right buttons. Very similar to um, like Guitar Hero in a way, not a hundred percent, but similar. And uh, if you didn't do it, the band could not move forward. And like once you got the uh, the rhythm down, it was like, wow, this is a really catchy song, you know. <laughs> and a lot of times, metal, they'll do yeah. that. They'll 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 get that one that one thing that you just need to hook you in there, and it's like, all right, you got me. <laughs> um, oh yeah, for me, that's like the rhythm guitar, and I did find the composer. Uh, her name is uh, Michiru. Uh, Yamane. Oh, cool, cool. And I may, I may have butchered her name, but uh, no, she honestly, absolute powerhouse. Like if if this woman did another video game soundtrack, which I know she's done a couple, 
um, especially for the Castlevania series, like, look out for this woman. She is uh, an absolute beast in the, uh, in the in the music genre. I think any game she's involved with, like, that soundtrack is going to be legendary. I agree. The um, I'm uh, Speaking of Castlevania, I always liked how Castlevania kept the theme of Bloody Tears. There was always a different version of Bloody Tears. Uh, you, I'm sure you're familiar with it, right? The, the song? Oh, absolutely. And I just remember, like, hearing that, the first time hearing that in Symphony of the Night, the one where you play as a la carte, and I was like, this is probably one of the best video game scores ever. Because you're sitting there, and you're going through the castle, and it's just like, the, the guitar comes in, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling it. <laughs> it's, it, you know, yeah. it's very interesting. Like the, and, and the way that they progressed up to it, and I'm sure she did her own version as well. And it's like, it's like it seems like it gets better and better each time, like you know, oh, yeah. like uh, I mean, tradition. Like, um, the Dracula, the Dracula X game, yeah, uh, had some amazing renditions of the classic songs. And actually, you know what? Speaking about Castlevania, that's a series that needs like the first trilogy of that game to be remade lovingly, hmm. um, like. Give it, give it the Castlevania Dracula X Chronicles, you know, makeover where it's two point five D, you know, very traditional to the uh, the original, brand new art, art yes. that makes sense. Because I know they kind of remade it for the PlayStation in Castlevania Chronicles, which I did own, and um, but the art for Simon to me was a little off, didn't didn't make a lot of sense. I, I played a little I mean, bit of it. I didn't really get into it, but yeah. yeah. During that time, like the music was remixed to be more dance-like. And yeah. I'm like, uh, making Castlevania into electronic music to me does not make sense, especially in the background of the game. Um, so, Yamane, Yamane-san, if you're listening. If they ever remake the original trilogy of uh, Castlevania, please be involved with that and do your amazing, wonderful work to it. Because um, like, there's a part of me that wants Castlevania Two to come back. Like the original game wasn't very well done, and what a lot of people didn't get was the information villagers were was feeding you was supposed to be lies, was supposed to be purposely mis misleading. Yeah, so that you couldn't find the castle or something like that, right? Yeah, and that was one of people's, like, main complaints is that, like, oh, they're telling me the completely wrong thing. And some of that was mistranslation, but also some of that was supposed to be, like, an outright lie. Because back in that time, um, Simon Belmont was not trusted because he was known to be cursed. So people didn't want him around. They wanted him to die, so they would lie to him. Much like Um, in the anime, yeah. Yeah, so, well, they haven't touched on Simon yet. They've only touched on Trevor. Oh, my bad. Um, hopefully season four. I, I don't think they're done with season... I don't think they're done with the Trevor era yet, but I really want them to get into the Simon era because I think there's so much story to be had there. Um, anywho, they, if they remade the game, they could do sort of certain tells. You know, like, be it the... the body language of the character telling you the information like they're looking left and right a lot they're you know they don't want to look at you in the face or anything like basically 
obvious, like maybe not obvious tells, but definitely tells to say that, hey, they're not telling you the truth or they're not telling you the whole truth. Like micro expressions, I guess is the term, right? Something like that, but because it'll be like more likely a side scroller because, I mean, 3D Castlevanias have not traditionally done well. Um, Like the uh, Lords of Shadow actually taken on its own lords of shadow is actually a pretty decent game Hmm. um i especially like the end spoiler alert if you don't want to be spoiled please you know fast forward a little bit but at the very end of lords of shadow one you actually face satan (laughs) and it's not like a big massive muscly horned devil it's the traditional like what satan is supposed to be he's supposed to be like a very beautiful man that obviously is not beautiful anymore and he's there's not supposed to be anything roided out about him he was an average looking guy with long black hair his genitals were conveniently clouded over (laughs) (laughs) you know but he was he was naked and he was like and that's that was amazing. That was a great representation of the ultimate bad guy. Hmm. He doesn't need to go, you know, Super Saiyan or, you know, doesn't need to be roided out. He's he is the epitome of the evil. He is the fallen. He's the original fallen angel. He is the devil. He doesn't need to be special. He's just that powerful hmm. that he doesn't need to impress you. Yeah, very true, very true. Like, no. yeah, because what did he got to prove? And it was a very, yeah, and I mean, it was a very difficult boss battle. Now, in Lords of Shadow 2, which is an amazing game, I did enjoy that. The story was great. You know, the fall of uh, Gabriel was amazing. Um, but at the end of the game, you do face Satan again, and he does come back roided out. So I think they kind of cheapened him a bit. <laughs> Like maybe maybe we should go the run it out way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thankfully they didn't do like the classic devil horns and devil tail and stuff like that or red skin. But you know, he, he, you could tell it was Satan. But like he was just like, well, now I have gone on the Arnold Schwarzenegger diet and I am like <laughs> ten times my size. Like he didn't need that, and I think that's where it it lost me. Like the fantastical nature of the final boss battle and everything is great and all, but. When you're dealing with the ultimate evil, he should be so, so uninterested in appearance because he's so powerful and evil that he doesn't need to be, you know, the roided out bodybuilder. He can still be the plain guy and just like backhand you down, you know. Of course, like one punch man. Yeah. Which is very interesting. I have a question. Uh, If you were to have the ability to make a game, what kind of game do you think it would be? Uh, well, I have played with that idea a couple of times. Um, I've always liked like JRPGs, and I've played with making JRPGs at multiple different points of my life. <clears throat> there used to be this old, old... Uh, RPG engine called Verge. Gotcha. And Verge was, honestly, it was awesome. It had this, like, wonderful, you know, community uh, surrounding surrounding it, not not just the creator 
uh, I think his name was uh, his username was Vecna. Okay. And uh, but there was this wonderful community of people who just made games, <clears throat> and they figured out a way not to just make JRPGs of it. Like people made side scrollers with it, and it was really good. And my big thing is was I was a I was a sprite artist back then, so I would play with the character creator, and I would make I would make all the sprites. Hmm. And I was huge into like how it had to be animated and like making sure that everything lined up and looked professional, um, because that was the big thing for me. Like anything I made had to look pro. I got you. That reminds me of the the designer program Poser. I don't know if you remember that, but I just remember spending like hours upon hours being like, okay, this guy's arm is moving weird, so let me just type it in this way so his arms move quick. oh now this is the, and I just remember being like alright I think I'm going to burn myself out <laughs> from doing this but it was it was definitely fun oh yeah and I mean like if I were to make a game now like I've been playing with the idea and of course my son is getting into modding so um, I've used my uh, my university account to get my son like a year of free unity lessons nice so he can literally download all of the available information so he can learn to use unity uh which um uh was used to make the game subnautica if you know that game and i love that game i'm familiar with it yes yes and um you know so i played with the idea of making a game myself and if i were to make one today it would definitely be a game adaptation of the dragonlance books okay which which are uh, Dragonlance is a book series based in the uh, D&D universe, and yet it's its own sort of world and universe. Oh, cool. Um, it, it's, it was made in the 80s, and it was the author's, um, one of their first forays into writing, so it's very campy, uh, very tropey. Like, you have the, the stubborn old Scottish-like dwarf. You have the half-elven who's... Uh, his last name is quite literally half elven, but I mean, there is an actual reason for it. If you read the books, there's a reason for it. It's because he is not only like a half elf, which of course is looked upon with disdain by both elves and humans, that they don't even give him a proper, you know, surname. They just call him half elven. Hmm. You know? Yeah. So there, there is reason for it. It's not just lazy writing. There is a, there is a proper reason for it. And of course, the the books get better as as they've been writing. Um, but to me, that is like the pivotal. Like everybody's like, Tolkien is is the best. And yes, Tolkien is the original. And of course, everything will reference Tolkien, which Dragonlance definitely does. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, Dragonlance is my favorite book series, and I would love to see that in a game format. Now. How one would do that, I don't know, uh, because I grew up in the nine. Like I played most of my games in like the eighties and nineties, yes. JRPG and um, uh, turn-based style battle systems were the thing to go, and that makes sense because you can. Dragonlance party was a party of like upwards of eight eight people, so mm. you know, and sometimes they were all together, so could like i don't know maybe use the turn-based battle to choose your party that you're going to focus on um maybe you can do something like final fantasy 15 where you can jump around to different characters and they would sort of just fight on their own 
Um, so if anything, yeah, today I would definitely make a Dragonlance video game. And I actually, um, I pinged one of the authors, uh, Margaret Weiss, uh, on Twitter like last year. And I was like, Hey, if somebody was going to make a game of Dragonlance, what would you like to see it as? Hmm. And Margaret admitted that she wasn't much of a video game player. So she actually doesn't know. So she posed the question to a lot of people. And I think a lot of people didn't understand what I was asking because they would say, Oh, I want it to be like a Skyrim game. And I'm thinking like, how can you adapt a book into a first person hack and slash like you're following multiple characters so maybe they took it as like oh make it like an open world mmorpg where you're just like a person involved in the world yes um, very possible they misunderstood it i don't think that would work I, I would play it like a final fantasy where the story is focused on the characters you know of course of course um, so yeah that would that would be what i would make well i think that's pretty pretty neat uh, the um I don't know if you remember this or not, but do you remember the first ever game that you played? Video game? It it could be any type of game, uh, you know, like a board game, card game, video game, whatever you whatever you want to say. That's fine. Uh, whatever yeah, comes to mind. First. Okay, now you have to understand. I owned the original Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Okay. I was born in nineteen eighty. Okay. Um, my parents um, unfortunately split uh, before I was a year old. And one of my earliest memories of video games is at the very bottom of my dad's apartment building was a bar. And he would take me there as a kid for food and stuff like that, um, especially if he didn't feel like cooking, which, you know, as a single dad, sometimes you don't. Course. And I certainly know that because I have been a single dad. And I remember he would sit me down and there would be this like little bar top Pac-Man arcade. Oh, like and like flat top kind of thing? You lean over kind of? No, 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 no. This, this was like a miniaturized version that would sit on top of a bar. It was meant to sit on top of a bar and not take up a lot of space. Oh, okay, okay. Like those poker but games. it was... Yeah, like it was one of those, it, it was like the original Pac-Man game. And I remember my dad would just give me quarters and he would sit there and he would watch me play like this little like two two or three year old kid, yes. 1982, 1983, playing Pac-Man. And, you know, he would, you know, watch me, he would watch, you know, the games that were on the TV, be it, you know, baseball or football mostly football because he's a football guy and we're talking like american american or canadian football not like not real football not soccer i get it (laughs) yeah um and yeah i would just i would play pac-man and i loved that game and i i would fail like i wasn't i wasn't old enough to recognize patterns or anything like that but i loved pac-man and so i would play it and eventually i got pac-man for the atari 2600 which was terrible. <laughs> oh, I I remember being so disappointed with it. Like, the graphics were not the same. The sound effects were not the same. Like, the only way it was Pac-Man was, it was a maze. This dude with a mouth chomped things and was chased by ghost. That 
That was the only way you recognized it as Pac-Man. The, um, I think it was, I don't know, I don't know if it was Soul Calibur 5 or Soul Calibur 4, but in one of them they have, uh, you know, create a, create a character. And I made, uh, Princess Pac-Man. And this person was supposed to be a descendant of Pac-Man and Mrs. Pac-Man, which I thought was very funny. And because, you know, uh, there, was, there was baby Pac-Man, if you remember. Yep. So I was Pac-Man like, Junior. this is Pac-Man all grown up. And so, uh, like Pac-Man's daughter. And uh, obviously, you can't make them look like Pac-Man, but you had like uh, a little Pac-Man guy next to him. So I had her dressed in like yellow and red, I think it was. And then there was like a little Pac-Man at the bottom. And it was just the funniest thing <laughs> to like... Uh, I, I, I love creative characters because they give you so much options. But uh, I, oh, just, I, love I just remember thinking that. I was like, I need to make this character. <laughs> yeah, like my, my icon, like um, my avatar you see right now is actually an avatar I made in Elite Dangerous. Okay, that's just me using my, uh, the Magic the Gathering app. If, if you're familiar with Magic the Gathering, like uh, oh, yeah. on Snapchat, which I don't have anymore, I got bored of that. But uh, Snapchat, you, you could, uh, uh, it was like a promotion for the, the Magic Arena, I think. And it, it was like you could be uh, a planeswalker. And that's what my planeswalker looked like. And I was like, this is a cool picture. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. So it's my actual exactly. face. I just look like like I'm magical. So. Right on. I uh, I have a beard, so I would I would generally like everybody knows I love Wolverine, and I would totally make myself look like Logan. But then I would have to shave part of my beard, and then uh, my partner wouldn't be happy. She likes my beard. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Do you like Wolverine as the? Um, the Canadian superhero when he was part of Alpha Flight, or do you like Wolverine, X Men? I like Wolverine everything, mostly because I enjoy his story. Okay. And it, like, without the fantastical parts, it kind of parallels myself. Hmm. Um, I was not born into an affluent family. I was actually born into a very poor family. Um, and then comparatively, though, like the city I grew up is the second richest city in Canada at the time. So being poor in that city wasn't exactly actually being poor, but I grew up in the, you know, in the rundown neighborhoods of, of that city. Yes. And, um, but like his, uh, his experiences, his love of Japan, his sense of honor, uh, things like that is things that like I recognize in myself because I have a deeply rooted sense of honor. Um, and that's mostly because of my father (laughs) Um, but like his interests my interests like I I like Wolverine because he was the first character to actually like speak to me like yes it's a bonus that he he's Canadian but I mean like I've I've liked all sorts of characters from all sorts of parts of the world Um, but yeah for some reason Logan Logan just spoke to me and I just I love his character uh, I think Hugh Jackman did a wonderful job with Wolverine, except he's not hairy enough and he's too tall. <laughs> <laughs> but he hid his he hid his Australian accent very well. He did. Um, 
And I, I actually have a story about the first X-Men movie. Like the the first first one when he's like, oh, how can I tell if you're real? You're a dick. Oh, it's you. That one? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Funny enough, that scene where they landed in New York yes. was filmed in my hometown. They do that a lot. They revealed the X-Men suits in my hometown. My best buddy worked at the art museum at the time. They were having the cast party there in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And the night that they revealed the suits, they actually had coffee with some of the bystanders that were sort of looking on. Yes. And uh, I did not I did not go and I'm <laughs> kicking myself ever since because I could have met Hugh Jackman. I could have met Halle Berry. I could have met everyone there I and had coffee with them and everything. And because, and this is the stupidest thing in the world and I apologize to the entire cast, <laughs> but I didn't know a single one of them. I didn't recognize anyone's name. I recognize Halle Berry's name. Yeah. But she, at the time, she wasn't in any of the movies that, like, I really, as a, a an 18, 19-year-old yeah, kid. Yeah, well, how can you know? You can't you know, know she, everything, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I didn't recognize the movies she was in. So I was like, yeah, I, I recognize Halle Berry. And she's, like, an amazing actress. But, like, you know, I wasn't, like, in into her to the point where I'm like, oh, I know what you do and, like, you're amazing. Exactly. Like, I just knew she was just a talented actress. The name that I knew was Patrick Stewart. Oh, who doesn't and know I Patrick knew Stewart? That... fantastic. Yeah. Exactly. And Patrick Stewart was not on set. So I was like, you know, my buddy, like, we were driving by, and my buddy's like, you want to stop by? And I'm like, nah, Patrick Stewart's not there. <laughs> and I found out that was the night that they had coffee with the bystanders. They revealed the costumes, you know, the whole thing and like I'm just kick, kicking myself like years later I'm kicking myself because we didn't stop and yeah there's that that reminds me of yeah. uh, the first time I went to Comic Con in uh, New York City and uh, uh. Uh, I loved the show Bob's Burgers when it came out I still love it I'm just saying I, I loved it way more than and um, because it was so silly and they were going to have a script reading, a live script reading of Bob's Burgers at Aww. New York City Comic Con. And I was like, all right, I'm, I, I generally don't like dealing with crowds and large amounts of people because I have a ton of anxiety, which, uh, you know, I've gotten better over the time. But I generally didn't like dealing with large crowds so I said alright I'm going to go to this convention I'm going to ask if my friends want to go and then we're going to see this panel and it's going to be the best thing ever and I could not get into the panel because oh. it was over It was it, it's Comic Con you know like the things fill up so quickly it's like you literally have to get there like as soon as it's starting or like within the realm of that time and or, or some things you have to reserve things. But that's not the point. Point is, I thought it was like first come, first serve. And I was thinking, oh, it's not going to be that big. How many people watch Bob's Burgers? And, uh, you know, that's just me being naive. But 
it, it definitely ruined my Comic-Con day. Like, I, I literally wanted to go home. I had some friends that literally left after that because they, they were upset that they couldn't get into it. Uh, but uh, and that, and That's fair. That's totally understandable. But the, uh, the, the way that it turned around, you know, just so I don't leave it on a sour note, is um, I was looking for two people because I knew that they were going to be there, two, two well-known celebrities. I don't know if you know them, but I'm sure you'll know at least one of them, and that was Jason David Frank. Do you know? Uh, who? Uh, yes. And oh he, yeah, I know JDF. He's the green. He's the green Power Ranger. And I was like, I know he's here. All I want to do is just shake his hand. Nothing crazy, and and you know, say say keep up the good work. And then the other person was Yaya Han. I don't know if you're familiar with Yaya Han, but I, I know I know who she is. Okay, yeah. So I um I ended up seeing uh, shortly after shortly after I came uh you know. To realization that I was not going to see the Bob's Burger panel, I was like, "Oh man, this is the worst day ever. I'm never going to come here ever again." I'm like, "I'm just going to eat some pizza, and then and and make myself feel better because who doesn't love pizza?" And uh, you got to get the New York pizza. Come on. Exactly. Well, you know, I live here, so uh, if you yeah. couldn't already tell by my accent, I don't know if it's strong or not, but that's not I can tell. That's not the point. <laughs> The point is, is that I went to go get the pizza and I was eating the pizza and I was literally going to leave and I saw Yaya Han dressed up in whatever else she was dressed up in, whatever. It was, it was fantastic. And I went over to Yaya Han, like I literally V-lined to Yaya Han. I was, I was like, who are these people? Get out of my way. You know, and uh, I went over to her and I was like, are you Yaya Han? And she's like, yes, I am. And I was like, I'm going to tell you something personal. Hopefully, you do not get angry at me or freak out. That's just who I am. And she's like, okay. So I, I unload like this whole, this whole truckload of emotion onto this lady. And then she just, after I said this to her, she is like, just give me a hug. And I and I got to hug her, and I was like, "This is the best day ever!" Just after getting a hug from her, then um, oh, afterwards, I'm I'm like, you know, like, cause I'm like excited that I got a hug, and then you know, stuff like that, you know, a lot of emotions, and so I um I see that uh, Jason David Frank is giving autographs in whatever hall he was in, and so I was like, I don't have the money to get an autograph but I'm going to see if I could stand in line and see if I get to at least say hello to him so I get I get in the line and uh, I get to the front and I tell the guy I'm like I don't have any money I just wanted to shake Jason David Frank's hand and the guy was like well you need to pay and then Jason David Frank was like no come over here and he, he shook my hand. He even talked to me a little bit, and he gave me an autograph. It was the nicest thing oh, yeah. ever. And I was like, okay, this day just went from terrible to awesome. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. No, like, I, I have had the pleasure of, like, chatting with JDF, like, just on Facebook a couple of times. Um, I have seen a lot of what he does i actually i follow him on a lot of the social media stuff that i'm on 
mm. um, which to be honest with you I only lurk I don't actually use um, social media just because you know there are reasons um, like for instance fa- Facebook I use to contact family that's over the always family yeah. and that's it yeah yeah I don't really participate because like I like to keep my sanity <laughs> of course. Um, but like I've had the pleasure of just chatting with them you know a couple of times dude is the nicest guy in the world like he, he seems he, very nice just yeah. the level oh yeah just like the level of hustle the the amount of love he gives his fans like I legit and like JDF if, if you ever listen to this like I want you to know there's such respect that I have for you um just just for your hustle just just for the love you have for your fans but like there are times where i i, I get legit worried the dude's gonna burn out <laughs> it's because it's, like he just he gives he gives his all like in all the media that i see him in yes um be it his his own personal media or other people's media uh when he gets interviewed by uh, andre the black nerd yes i love i love andre um like when he talks to JDF, like they have this rapport and like, he's always like really good to him. Um, in fact, uh, I got into, uh, up, up, down, down because they interviewed JDF. Yes. And it was like the guys from the new day is interviewing JDF. And it was just, it was amazing. They were playing like, uh, the old school and like SNES power Rangers game. Yes. Um, Oh man, and I just like from there I just fell in love with the new day. Like to me, I don't even watch wrestling much anymore. But like anytime I go to a buddy's house, like well, we'll like before COVID. Yes. And please everybody stay safe during COVID. Um I would go to a buddy's house and we would watch like SummerSlam or WrestleMania or something. If the new day if the new day came on, I was all about them. I didn't care if they were heel or face at the time. Of course, they're very entertaining. Like Oh, they are amazing. They are amazing. Prior to like the only way, the only way they can make the new day better is if they were um, managed by. And I'm going to say some names here, and not to make it like a stereotype or everything, but like these are the people in Hollywood uh, or entertainment business that honestly are like my top favorite people ever. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> if they were managed by James Earl Jones. <laughs> that would be that interesting. Would be That'd I be very would, interesting. I, oh, I would flip. I would flip. Um, just because, like James Earl Jones, to me, like everybody knows him as like Mufasa and Darth Vader and stuff like that. But to me, he will always be Coach Kuzo <laughs> from the movie Best of the Best. Um, and I use his line all the time: "A team is not a team." if you don't give a damn about one another. That's a valid point, and, yes. Oh, yeah, and I love that line. And, like, for me, like, James Earl Jones will always be Coach Kuzo. So, like, managed by uh, James Earl Jones, and they have, like, another member of the New Day who is Terry Crews, because I freaking love Terry Crews. That would be expensive, because you got James Earl Jones, then you got Terry Crews. <laughs> That's expensive. Yeah, but I mean, like, Man, I love Terry Crews. Like, he could be in anything. He's very funny. I would... Oh, I would love it. He made the movie Blended. No offense to Adam Sandler and and Drew Barrymore, (laughs) but he made that movie as the wacky tour guy. Like, 
he literally steals the movie. Any movie he's in, any show he's in, uh, he steals it. And like when he was in White Girls, he was he was just like the side character. Oh, yeah. He's the, the guy who's obsessed with him. Yeah. yeah, he stole the show. Like the only show he has not fully stolen for me. And again, you gotta know. I, I love Terry Crews, so if he's in something, I am all about it. But I think his best performance is actually in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That is a, that is a great Cruz. show. Great show. That, the whole entire cast, they, they, work, they work so well together. It's ridiculous how oh well together they work. Yeah. Like, right, right from Captain Holt to Terry to, like, Boyle. Like, everybody in that show is amazing. Of course. And part part of the reason why I love Terry in that show so much is because it's the only show he doesn't actually and I don't think he does this ever purposely but it's the only show he doesn't steal the scenes that he's in the scenes are made for him but he doesn't become the show you know well again that's a lot of a and, lot of talent there just saying oh there is like yeah the guy that plays Captain Holt like oh man kudos kudos to him he is bloody amazing i saw him in an episode of house because my partner was doing a marathon of house yes and i saw that actor who's unfortunately the name escapes me and i apologize um but he was in house as a doctor like a rehab doctor Hmm. and i saw him and i flipped I just flipped because I just I don't know I think he's amazing I think Terry's amazing I think um, like the gentleman who plays uh, Boyle is amazing yes like every one of those cast members is just bloody goddamn amazing I agree oh going back to uh, what you said about the new day um, prior just before just before COVID had happened I went to PAX Boston and um, I was going there to meet some friends that I know from Discord, uh, um, as well as, you know, c- certain celebrities that I wanted to get their autographs of. And um, so um, I went to, like, um, stand on the line, and there was, uh, you know how they are, they're all, like, in a row on the table. Yeah. And um, so I went over to, I- I'm sure you're familiar with Morgan Webb, right? Do you know who she is? Oh, yeah, because I, I used to watch her on uh, G3 and uh, Tech TV and stuff. Of course, G4. And so I went over to her, and this was prior to her being in a panel that I was at, and she had to leave to go to the signing. But uh, I went over to her, and I was just telling her, like, you know, that I appreciated her and whatnot. I gave her I gave her office, the board game, because um, uh, I wasn't too sure what to give her. Uh, you know, it's a token of appreciation. And um, so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to her and uh, we're having a conversation. And Xavier Woods is uh, s- sitting right next to her, like not too far away, but in the next booth. And Xavier Woods starts getting into the conversation. And I was like, I was like, hey, Xavier Woods, you know, like I rem- I- I've been following you since the days of when you were wrestling with R-Truth. And so, long story short, we, we ended up taking a picture together, like, and I think Anna Prosser also got into the picture as well. 
Like it was just like a, it was like, like a steamroll effect. I was trying to just meet Morgan Webb, but Xavier Woods and Anna Prosser got in. So it's just like, all right, everyone get into the photo. It was really nice. Yeah. It, it, was a, it was a good experience. Like, uh, get, granted, I'm not like a super fan of Anna Prosser or Xavier Woods, but I do appreciate them, you know? And because of the situation, it made it more appreciable, if, that, if you follow what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I definitely follow. I definitely follow. Like, I haven't had many direct celebrity encounters. I, I really haven't gone to many cons, especially where I live right now. Like, if I wanted to go to, like, Comic-Con or, hell, even Niagara Falls Con. Yes. Um, it's a 16-hour drive minimum. Um, wow. Yeah, the flight could only be, like, two and a half hours. But, you know, it's, it's expensive, right? Of course. And um, so the very few celebrity encounters that I've had were, were kind of memorable. Like I've met Colin Mockery cool. by chance while I was working at Radio Shack. Nice. Um, nice guy. Nice guy. Lo- like loved him. Uh, I have met a, I have met actually two out of the four members of Metallica. Cool. cool. Uh, I met, uh, cause I went to the first, yeah, I went to the first Orion Festival in Atlantic City, cool. and uh, Lars had his like movie theater, and he was playing this movie called Mission to Lars. And any every time it played, he would actually come out and introduce it. Um, and when he came, when he came out to introduce it, on um, you know when I got to see it, uh, there was this dude ahead of me, and I think he was from Mexico, and he had a soccer or a football jersey. And it actually said Lars on it and everything, and and Lars really liked it, so he came to look at him, and uh, and like, oh man, that's really cool. Where'd you get this? And he's like, I made it, I made it. And you know, all this all this time, the guy's like trying to turn around and hold up his phone to get a picture while Lars is with him. <laughs> and so like, I I get up and I go here. Let me take the picture. You're gonna fumble or drop the phone or so. it's not gonna be good. Let me take the picture. And so I take the picture. And the guy's like super thankful, and like Lars comes up and he shakes my hand. And is like, man, that was cool of you. Do you know this guy? And I'm like, no, I don't know him, but like I didn't want him to break his phone. Yeah, his, his yeah, he shouldn't break his phone. And he's like, well, that's very nice of you. Where are you from? And I'm like, Canada. He's like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah. he was a he was a nice guy. Um, and then Kirk Hammett, I went to. He had like this, you know, horror movie. Uh, exhibit thing on of all of his collection and he was taking questions for a book that he wrote about his collection and I didn't know what was going on at the time Uh, I just like went in to look at the collection and stuff and suddenly everybody was gathering around this one area and here he comes in with his entourage and sits down the middle I'm like oh this is a thing happening this is cool yeah and he has this and he like he opened up this question period for people in the crowd and I had this amazing question for him. And my question was, does any of the new forms of media, video games, virtual reality, internet, things like that, does anything about that excite you for the horror genre? I never got to ask my question because I'm short and everybody around me was tall. And I, I swear, swear to God that he was actually trying to hand the microphone to me. But like because I'm short, everybody's grabbing it out of my hands. Of course, yeah, um, you can't so, get it. Yeah, so when he left the building, when he comes by, he holds his hand up to me, and I hold my hand up, and he high fives me. 
and he just keeps going. That's and I'm nice. like, I got recognized. Kermit, <laughs> high five me. You know, so not only did I get to meet Lars, but you know, I had some interaction with Kirk, and that was really awesome. That's um, great. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And they, my only other celebrity thing is like, there's this Cuban Latin drummer, uh, and I actually he was doing a clinic in my hometown, and a clinic uh, for a drummer is basically where he'll do like a demonstration and sort of teach you how he does his thing. Yes. Um, so it was my birthday. It was my 18th birthday. And I went to go see him. And this was like three weeks I was going with my high school jazz band to the Nationals in Toronto. And um, so I stayed for the whole, whole, you know, click and everything. And, um, you know, he was signing autographs and doing stuff afterwards. And I waited till the very, very end. And one of my friends actually worked at the music store. So I was allowed to stay at the end. They were kicking me out. And so I struck up a conversation with his manager, and I didn't even know it was his manager. And he's like, hey, how do you know Horatio? And I'm like, well, I saw him in Modern Drummer books. I started listening to him, and I, I really like what he does. And he was doing a, a you know this clinic here in my hometown. I'm going to go to it. Yes. He's like, oh, that's really awesome, man. That's really awesome. I'm like, yeah, besides, what else am I going to give myself for my birthday? And he looks at me, and he goes, it's your birthday? I'm like, yeah, I was born today, you know. And he goes, and you came here? Yeah, I came here. Like, I love drums. I love varieties of music. And Croatia's a great drummer. Like, it just works. He goes, oh, okay, okay, okay. He turns around, raises his arm, and he goes, hey, Horatio, <laughs> get over here, man. And like he comes home and he's like, hey, what's up? And he goes like, this kid came to see you on his birthday. It's his birthday present to himself. And he goes, really? And he goes like, yeah, yeah, I, I did. He goes like, I'm from Cuba. Like, how do you know me? And I, I told him, I'm like, well, I've been following you through Modern Drummer magazines. I had my Modern Drummer magazine on me and everything. And I'm like, you know, I'm not 100% familiar with all of the tracks you've ever played on, but I like what you do. And I thought it'd be really cool to learn from you in this clinic. He's like, man, that is cool. Hold on a second. He, he like, he leaves, he comes back and I get like two pairs of drumsticks from him and, and like an autograph. And, and like, I even got invited out to, uh, uh, they were staying in Hamilton, uh, Ontario. Neat. And yeah, so they invited me out to Hamilton, but it was already late and you know, it was it was a school night, so I'm like, eh, I don't really have a way home from Hamilton, so no, you guys go have fun. Of course, but no, that was, yeah, those those were those were my celebrity interactions. If they, <laughs> that's pretty neat, that's pretty neat. They, um, I have uh, a pretty funny story, and it has nothing to do with celebrities, but it's it's celebrity adjacent. And um, mm-hmm. um, now, uh, as you know, there are a lot of things that get filmed in New York as well oh yeah and um so i am going to my job and so what i do is i i would stop at cvs to get like a quick snack you know uh, as i'm walking or whatnot and uh so i go in i'm walking down the block and i notice that the stores are not the same stores that they normally would be I was like, I've never heard of this store before. I've never heard of this store before. Why is this store empty? You know, like, am I missing something here? You know, like, it it felt very, like, Twilight Zone-ish. Like, I walked into something. 
you know, like unsuspected. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, I'm like, like, why does it look so, so retro over there? Like KB toys hasn't been in business for years. You know, uh, this, the signs, you know, like, uh, it was like a, a wheel sign type of thing, like a large wheels. And it had like a sign of all the stores. And I was like, I just don't remember this being here at all. And so I'm just I'm continuing and I'm walking down. I go into CVS and no one's in CVS except for the workers. No one's in CVS. And that's very strange for New York. There's always someone in a store, at least 10 people, maybe more. Uh, at least this is just my observation. And um, so I go over to the, walk, the worker and I'm like, What's, why is it so weird over here? And he goes, oh, they're filming a Netflix movie and it's got Jonah Hill and someone else. I can't remember, but they're, they're well-known people. And I'm like, you're filming a movie right now? And he, and he goes, well, they just filmed it. And, and I was like, oh, that explains why there's all these things. And so, yeah, uh, I'm walking past these people and like on the way there and I who knows who 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 was there but it, it it was just weird like i had no idea that i was walking through a film set no one stopped me you know maybe because it had just ended but i just thought it was the weirdest thing i was like what's going on here <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah like in when i lived in hamilton uh when i was older they filmed a couple of movies there and i got to walk the streets of raccoon city that's nice. So yeah, they were they filmed the second Resident Evil movie in uh, in Hamilton, and I had just finished up in the army, and they were literally filming a block away from where I lived. So I decided to go watch the set, and I remember seeing uh, they were they were filming this uh, scene where, of course, the zombies were coming after the cops, and yes. you know, dude had like a like a star's vest on and everything and he was doing the old 70s and 80s spread fire panic um thing and i just i remember i groaned out loud and i must have been like right near uh some of the other extras and possibly like the second or third director and i got some weird looks and one of the extras turned around and said well why why is that so bad and i i explained i said Okay, I just came from the army, like the military. I'm, a, I'm an infantryman, and I'm going to tell you right now, um, that may have worked in the '70s and '80s, but in the 2000s, everybody knows that if you're a special military team, you're trained, and you're not going to panic like that. Certainly like, not. We are trained. First thing we're trained in the army is if we are, if we have our weapon up, our eye is always looking through the sight, be that the uh, the iron sights or the scope or the red dot or whatever scope you have, you're looking through that. That is now your eye. You turn your head, you turn your weapon. Um, and even when you're panicked and you've been trained for so long, like if you're special ops, you are trained in that from the beginning. So you have years of experience doing this. It's second nature to you. Yeah. So even when you panic, <clears throat> you're not spread firing like that. You're pointing and shooting. You might be doing it fast and inaccurate like because you're panicking, but you're still doing it. 
and I explained that to the guy and he's like, oh man, that makes a lot of sense. And like, I guess the second director must have heard me or something. And he goes like, seem to know what you're talking about. And I'm like, I am still just a private in the military, but I've done a lot of, you know, studies on war, especially special ops, because like back then my dream was like, I'm going to join uh, Joint Task Force 2. I was going to be part of Canada's Special Forces, which, you know, three years prior to that, nobody knew existed. Well, there you go. That's how Special Ops, Canada's Special Ops was back, you know, back then. So my goal was to become GTF2. And so I knew a lot about Special Forces training. I knew all about, like, how the Marines trained, how the Green Berets trained, like, how uh, GIGN in Germany trained. So, you know, and I explained to him, like, if you do another take, and I'm not telling you how to... So continue. So, yeah, so... I end up talking to the second director and like I explained to him like like not to not to tell you how to do your job or anything but um, spread fire doesn't work in modern movies people are more educated on how militaries work so you gotta you gotta make it more, look more realistic so spread fire is not gonna hold up he goes like okay well how do you th- how do you think it you know it would be done if you don't mind me asking and I said okay <clears throat> you're going to look down your sights. You're going to be panicked. You're going to fire inaccurate inaccurate shots. But there's a certain way you're going to hold your gun. And depending on how you were trained is going to depend on how you hold your weapon. But you're always going to look down your sights. You're always going to point and shoot. He says, okay, well, can you show some of our extras how they're supposed to hold their weapons? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. <clears throat> so, yeah. So that was fun. And then, uh, like a year or two later, I got to walk through Silent Hill, because the first Silent Hill was recorded in uh, Hamilton as well. That's nice. The uh, the Silent Hill video game movie was it the best storyline because they completely threw out the storyline. It seemed like, um, but um, the cinematography was so well done in that movie, like the the oh, pyramid yeah. head, the nurses. The, everything was so creepy. Like, I remember going into that movie and being like, this is going to be a terrible movie because I love Silent Hill. Silent Hill is like, I love horror in general. Like, Resident Evil is my favorite video game franchise. And, you know, so I like Silent Hill. I like all those types of game, uh, things. And um, I remember my friends being like, you're going to probably like the movie because you're such a big fan. Like, uh, for example, the Resident Evil movies. I know that they're not the best movies, but I still enjoyed them. You know, it's like because I'm such a fan. Uh, oh, yeah, they were they were fun. Like, I, I enjoyed the first Resident Evil, but I was pretty upset that there were no established characters. There was no Chris Redfield or, or Jill Valentine. But I did appreciate the movie for what it was. I remember when I saw the first, the very first one, I was like, why didn't they just use the actors that were from the video game? Because if you, if you remember the first uh, Resident Evil, no, they no, had... No, didn't they, say that, did you? I did. Because I, cause, uh, because I was thinking to myself, you know, like, they were the same people, so I'm going to assume that they're going to be Chris Redfield and Rebecca Chambers and whatnot. But, you know, then I realized that that was 10 or so years ago and those people probably don't want to do those roles anymore 
yeah, they probably don't want to remember those roles because, like, they could they could have been like fantastic actors. Yes, but the direction they were given was probably absolutely terrible because again, they probably were captured in an American studio, like from people who just didn't get what what was going on because again, it was the nineties. Yes, yes. So a lot of people who were doing the full motion video didn't care about acting; they just wanted to get the scene done. Um, and like the actors themselves, they, they could have been totally into it. But again, like when you have a director that doesn't care, um, or maybe he cares too much or just doesn't communicate well, you know, you're going to get a bad scene. And I say that because like, there's, I would say the key example, and I don't mean to insult anybody or anything, but like the star Wars prequels, Hayden, Hayden Christensen is an amazing actor he is a very good actor and he got a bum rap with star wars and i think that's because he didn't have you know a a forward mentor like mark hamill had harrison ford yeah um and harrison ford had worked with george lucas beforehand before star wars so when george lucas would direct mark hamill harrison ford would turn to mark and just say okay do what he says, but don't do what he says. Make it a lot more natural. <laughs> and I don't think Hayden Christensen had that somebody. Like, Ewan McGregor's a great actor, but I don't think Ewan McGregor had the had the rapport with George Lucas to, you know, turn to Hayden and just say, you know what, I get what George is trying to say, but, you know, just do it naturally. <laughs> yes. The, the, there's a scene in, um, I think it's Attack of the Clones. I could be wrong. I'm not... I'm not like an expert in Star Wars or anything like that. But th- there's a scene where Hayden Christensen is, at, you know, this is before he turns into Darth Vader. He um, is talking to, I think, a, a Queen Amidala's character. And, uh, Padme. Yes, Padme. And he's telling her, like, um, I'm a Jedi, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be a failure. I'm I, like, my mom should have lived and I, I'm going to have the ability to resurrect the dead because I'm going to be that good of a Jedi. And then he basically admits that he killed, he killed all the kids and all the stuff. And then he starts breaking down crying. And that is one of my favorite scenes in the Star Wars movie. I don't know why, but I just, I love that scene. I think that's one of the coolest scenes do you know what scene I'm talking about? Yep. No, I know the exact scene. And <clears throat> again, George Lucas is, is a wonderful creator, a visionary. And I don't know exactly what he's like as a director, but it to me it seems like his vision for Anakin conflicted with the natural flow that the original trilogy had like the original trilogy like it had this naturalness to it Mm -hmm. and like granted it wasn't supposed to be in the era where the Jedi were big or anything and the Jedi are supposed to be these you know amazing space monk wizards that are not supposed to really have much in the way of emotion but part of what made the original Star Wars uh, trilogy so endearing is the fact that everybody talked like people talked in that day you know they they weren't using like they weren't using like language that was specific to that 
that date so nobody said like because it was made in 77 right so yes. nobody said you know jive turkey or crazy honky or anything like that but um they they spoke naturally like you would in real life and that was part of the charm the sarcasm the back and forth and that's the biggest thing that the prequel trilogy sort of lacked and i and i i get the understanding of it it's because most of them were jedi and jedi are supposed to be these you know highly enlightened monks with very little emotion but you gotta have a little bit of emotion in there you gotta put reality into the fantasy i get what you're saying like yeah uh, so i i think that's why that's why people dump on uh poor hayden because you know he doesn't show a lot of emotion and he's not actually supposed to but true. they should have really allowed him to. Like, he like the movie he was in before Attack of the Clones. He had a lot of emotion, like ranging from sadness to rage, and that would have been perfect for for specifically that scene. Yeah, he spoke about when he admits that he killed the uh, the Sand People. Um, just that that range of of rage and sadness over the loss of his mother and his anger about it, and yes. the shame he feels. And of course, you know, because of the way he he grew up in the Jedi Temple, everybody knowing that he's rumored to be the chosen one, you know, he should have like the line should have been something along the line like, "I'm supposed to be the chosen one. Why can't I save a single person's life?" You know, yeah, something something to that effect. You know, it's it's it's, <clears throat> it's very possible. Yeah, like uh, I I don't know, like uh, the the whole semantics of it all. But uh, yeah. the um, you know who Adam Driver is, obviously, right? Yep. Now, Absolutely, uh, I do. He's in a movie. I think it's called "The Best Days of Your Life" or something like that. With uh, with the guy, the Harry Potter dude. I can't remember his name. But uh, oh, and we're watching the Harry Potter. Like my family's watching the Harry Potter series because I'm introducing my kids to it. We're Daniel all, uh, Radcliffe. We're that's his name. Yeah. So, uh, he's actually in uh, in the running to be Wolverine. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, he may pull it off, but we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, anyway, Adam Driver and Daniel Radcliffe are in this movie. And the, the, Adam Driver plays a very angry character. And so uh, Daniel Radcliffe comes to him and he's like, I have to ask you about my cousin or my your sister or whatever. And he goes, I'm a about to have nachos the greatest meal of my life and he's like this better be good <laughs> and i was just thinking like did that line have to be that way because it was it was it, it made that scene like him being angry you know like it seemed like he was overly excited to have nachos you know what i mean <laughs> so it made it more and yeah. it, it's kind of like the i'll drink my milkshake and there'll be blood it's kind of like he's really yeah. selling the character, so it makes the movie that much more enjoyable. So, you know, so it depend depending on how the actor or the director directed them, you know, it, it it's how it came about, you know, because you know, yeah, it's very interesting the whole dichotomy of it. It really is. It really is. I mean, uh, we're in. Uh, do you remember who uh, Matt Lieberman is? I I, I remember. The name being familiar, but I can't place him anywhere. He was on uh, SourceFed uh, with Trish. 
Oh, I never saw SourceFed. The only SourceFed that I saw were the ones that people may post in comments. Like, like uh, maybe like Jenny or, or someone will post a, a comment and they'll be like, hey, remember this source? I, I, I didn't see any SourceFed, so I don't know about that. I apologize. Oh, you, you should go back and like search it on YouTube because there's some genuine moments from it. Um, but anyway, uh, Matt Lieberman is big into script writing. Okay. So we're doing a lot of like right now he's studying with ev- uh, with everyone uh, the makeup of Captain America, the first Avenger. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and I enjoyed the movie, but like, let's face it, Marvel didn't own the X-Men franchise at the time. So I knew there was never going to be any Logan or, or Wolverine in that movie. Um, but it really needed to be like even just like a hint of a scene like, <laughs> hey, you're going to be teamed up with this Canadian because it is well documented that Captain America and Wolverine, you know, fought together in World War Two. Yep. Yep. It's in the comic books. Oh, yeah. So like I knew that wasn't going to happen. So my only contribution to, to that live stream was like needs more Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> my usual thing. Um, so like. And he touches on that, like how the dynamic between um, the director and the actor can make or break a movie, can make the movie like a good movie great, or it can make a great movie just good. Indeed. You know? Yeah. So it, it, was, it was really interesting to, to look at that dynamic. And, and the same can be said for people who voice act, even like, um, like you say, you're a fan of Bob's Burgers, and I love me some H. John Benjamin because of I course. love Archer. Archer, yes, Danger Zone. <laughs> oh my God, exactly. Archer is so amazing, and I, I have, uh, in the years that Archer has been on, I have learned that um, Aisha Tyler has uh, has hosted. Whose line is it anyway? Yes, and she has. She's she's multi talented lady. Oh my God, is she ever? She is amazing amazing like i like drew carey and everything but like whose line is it anyway with aisha taylor is the best iteration of that show of course of course that there ever was she's and i i I don't remember originally where i saw aisha tyler but i've seen her before archer i just don't remember the the thing it wasn't it wasn't that too far before like uh i have a friend that he would always rent like movies and whatnot and you know, you see them, you know, oh, I never heard of this movie. You know, a kind of like scenario like that. But yeah. but I, I did see her on, on Whose Line Is It Anyway? Because I watched all the, the Whose Line Is It Anyways. Uh, from from the Drew Carey one, I saw the British one, I, you know, and, and I saw this one. Because I love comedy and stand-up comedy. I just I think it's the best. So. Oh, yeah. Love comedy. Love comedy. But, uh, but yeah, like that kind of art that kind of direction <clears throat> it helps and especially when you have talented voice actors uh like for instance um batman arkham city or yeah. batman arkham knight like you have the original voice of batman the animated series doing batman uh kevin kevin conway kevin kenway i can't remember his last name <clears throat> i'm not too uh, keen on mark that, hamill yeah mark hamill yeah. is joker i mark know i know that yeah to me, Joker's not Joker without Mark Hamill. 
like I'm sorry and again it's going to be one of these uh, comparisons everybody knows Mark Hamill as you know Luke Skywalker whereas if I were to meet meet him in real life I would like I would say thank you for playing the Joker mm. like yeah Luke Skywalker is great and I always liked that character but like thank you thank you thank you thank you for being the Joker because I can't picture the Joker without that voice I agree a hundred percent. The um, uh, I can't remember the guy his name, uh, but he did the voice of Shredder for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, Uncle Phil. Yes, and 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 I and I just remember thinking to myself, I was now that he's passed, I was like, they got to retire Shredder now because 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 that guy that was him, he was Shredder. You know, it's it, it's like it's like uh, Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Not being in Evil Dead. It's like, why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I never, never, ever, 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 ever placed it until later in life. Same here. You know, same here. I, I was in my teenage in, years when I realized that was Uncle Phil because I watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air all the time. I watched all the episodes. Oh, absolutely. It was, it was a TG. Oh, it was on Friday, you know, like. I gotta get home and watch First Principle. Yeah. Then, then you had um, yeah, and it's like, all in the, you know you had Urkel you know right what? after that or before that. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing the diversity of shows you watch, and you don't even really realize that you're you're watching or you know. Of course. You it's just like entertaining shows, but like people would be surprised sometimes with the stuff you watch and like the people who you like. I, I suppose look up to of course and of course, yeah. uh you know james avery man like again one of those amazing amazing actors very true and like uh the world misses him like to me it, it's i miss james avery like no tomorrow i miss um ah shoot of course, we're watching Harry Potter, uh, Severus Snape. Um, I think it's uh, Ron Weasley's birthday today. I could be wrong though. Oh, I'm I'm not I'm not too keen on the, on the names. R- Rupert something, right? Is that his name? I, I, I'm not too yeah. keen. But yeah, I, I, but, if I remember uh, correctly. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. I. I uh, man, like Alan Rickman, I miss him. Of course, of course. Like, I absolutely miss him. Like, not only, like, for his amazingly pivotal roles throughout his entire career, like, ranging from Die Hard uh, to Dogma as the voice of God, and, oh, that was a perfect role for him. Of course. Um, to, um, uh, shoot, what was it? What was that space movie based on the book? Oh, uh, crap, why is this Is that, uh... The one with Tim Allen? Um, no, 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 no. Okay. Uh, although he isn't that one, too, I'm sure. Um, uh, shoot. It's where the dolphins leave Earth. Like, thanks for all the fish. Uh, uh, I, I don't know that. <laughs> crap. What? Uh, uh, it, it, it's a very popular book, and everybody was really looking forward to the movie, and he plays this, like, depressed robot. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea, but it sounds silly. Um. <laughs> But um, I was watching. I'm looking up 
his list right now. Sure, sure. I was watching uh, uh, something before. I think it was called Metal Minute with Whitney Moore. And she had Jonathan uh, Davis on. And Jonathan Davis has the death mask of Vincent Price, which I thought was pretty interesting. Nice. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that's it. Ah, yes. Rule, uh, rule 42 or 42, yes. I got you. <laughs> so, all right. no, he was, uh, yeah, he was amazing, an amazing actor, but we're, we're straying from video games again. <laughs> oh, uh, I think if yeah. you've been listening this whole entire time, you know, I, as I gave you a forewarning that we're getting off the tracks. It's more of a conversation. Uh, I'm sure yeah. that if, you know, uh, again, I'm not like a big shot podcaster or anything like that. Uh, I'm just a guy that likes to talk to people about pop culture stuff that's just pretty much it you know i like to have a chit chat uh you know the the wheelhouse maybe uh video games but you know i was told to pick a topic i like video games if we go off topic it happens you know uh like i said as long as we're respectful it's fine um yeah but uh uh the thing that i was thinking about earlier is if you, like, uh, I know this is going to sound strange. Uh, I, I don't watch Doctor Who. I've never seen Doctor Who. But it's a very Doctor okay, Who related question. But um, y- you know how, like, um, like, I'll give you the best example I can give to you. Um, now, as I may have told you before, um, I, I never saw SourceFed or anything like that. Uh, I knew of Trish Hirschberger because of Maud Garrett. And, and I'm sure you know who Maud Garrett is, right? Okay. Of course. Uh, so, anyway. the um, I, w- I was at a convention. This was years ago. Like, not too long ago. I want to say, like, maybe, like, a year ago. Maybe two years ago. And Trish was at a panel. Uh, you know, like, uh, I think it was, like, a fixing computer panel or whatever. And... Uh, I was just like, well, this lady's pretty cool. And and then I was just like, hey, can I get a picture of her with you? And she was like, yeah, sure. And then I started watching her streams. So, it, you know, that's I just basically saw her at a convention and was like, that's the coolest thing. So my question to you is, if you had the ability to time travel, and I know time travel is very impossible to do with all the science, uh, but... Like I'm not saying it's completely impossible. It's just very difficult. Um, if you had the ability to time travel, now you can't go forward. You can only go backwards. Would would there be a specific time in your life, not in, not anywhere else? Is there a specific time in your life that you would want to be so that you could possibly be friends with someone sooner, or at least notice their work? sooner would um, you do it yes but it would be difficult on who uh, because I hopped on the YouTube bandwagon pretty early actually I remember YouTube before uh, before Google bought it and yep, yep. Uh, apparently uh, I actually know somebody who back in the early days of YouTube, actually used to chat with Philip DeFranco. Okay. 
and uh, it was her stuff was even featured on uh, on one of Phil's shows. Now she no longer does YouTube anymore, unfortunately. So this is a very long time ago, and I doubt Phil would remember her. And one day I will ask him because uh, every so often um, I do play games with Phil because I'm on the Philip DeFranco uh, Discord. Uh, Discord. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And like every so often he'll be like, "Hey, I need a team of four to do this," and I'm like, "Hey, I got that game, and you know we'll play." But he's he's competitive, and I am very casual a lot of the times yes. for these multiplayer games. So sometimes it doesn't mix. <laughs> but one day I'll ask him. Uh, anywho, <clears throat> I used to. I remember watching PewDiePie when he was super duper small. I remember watching MXR uh, when he was super duper small. I would say out of anybody, yes, probably MXR, um, and I say that over Trish and over Matt and over Phil, simply because I've known their work pretty much like not Phil since the beginning, but since the beginning of uh, SourceFed or at least into the first year of SourceFed. Gotcha. So I know their careers and I've been following them for years. Um, like when Matt originally launched the Lieber Friends. I was an original Lieber friend, and that was really fun to do. And actually, I'm a mod on uh, Matt's Discord right now mm. <clears throat> because it's a it's a very very positive um, community, much like Trish's. Yes. Um, I followed uh, Trish like when I found out Trish started streaming. Uh, I was actually watching Philip DeFranco stream uh, at the time, and then Trish started streaming, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to support Trish because. Um, I liked her her bubbly, happy attitude. She does. She's very bubbly, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was amazing. Like, if Trish didn't have that super happy, bubbly attitude, um, like, just the, the joy and the positivity, I probably would not have watched her. But I've been, I've been on her stream. Like, I'm an OG. And her Dragon Riders logo, which is based on the Game of Thrones dragon. Or, yes. You know, Waverin, correct that. It's not a goddamn dragon. It's a Waverin. <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm like super super pissed like that. They'll be like, here's the dragon, and I'm like, no, dragons have four appendages and wings. That's a Waverin. My dad and does the same thing. Like... So, it's so <laughs> yes, good man, your dad. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um. So like, I designed her original logo based on her wall decal uh, from The Naked Truth. Hmm. And in the beginning, I actually told her, like, don't tell anybody I made this. Like, Keep, <laughs> keep it, it secret. <laughs> yeah, keep it as your own. Because, like, I don't want anybody being like, oh, you made it for Trish. Or, like, Trish had somebody made it for her or something like that. Like, I was just like, you know what? Keep it. I designed the, the wolf emoji. Um, and, like, I just, I wanted to support her because she was making this very positive uh, community. Yeah. And it, it wasn't until years later, um, like probably, I'd say four years later, that I actually cashed in my dragon scales to become a mod. Oh, that and must have been a lot of dragon scales then. It was, because I, I never spent them. I just, I enjoyed the streams, I chatted in chat, that yeah. was about it. Uh, and like, I had been offered a mod position previously, but I didn't take it because I'm like, ah, oh, no, the power will just get to my head. You know, and then I'll become this evil tyrant. Yes. Um, and then finally, I noticed like some things were 
could be better in the Discord and things like that. So that's when I cashed in my my Dragon Scales to uh, to become a mod. And like Trish was immediately like like Yeah, you should be a mod. You've you've been here for like ever. Um, <clears throat> and so I created the rules for the Discord and things like that because that every Discord, especially when you have an internet personality, needs a set of rules. Of course. Um, yeah. And so like that's why out of everybody that I follow and that I interact with on some level, MXR would be the guy that I would go back in time because he had such a talent on finding Skyrim mods and making it funny hmm. um, that I, I would have loved to just like maybe get to know him better. But the problem is, is like there is a good like 10 to 15 years difference in our age. Like he was making like Skyrim mods daily or weekly when he was like seventeen, mm. and now he's twenty five. He's been at it for years and he's moved on to like more reactionary um, content, you know, like PewDiePie and stuff like that. Of course, of course. Uh, which is still funny, still hilarious. Like him and his uh, him and his girlfriend Jeannie do it, and they just seem like really cool, nice people. So yeah, if anybody. I think I would uh, I would like to to know them. Interesting, interesting. The um, the reason why I asked that is because uh, I want to say what was two thousand sixteen, two thousand fifteen, maybe two thousand fifteen, sixteen, around that realm. The um, I think that's when I got into Twitch, uh, and uh, it, I I started watching uh, Minds and Crafts. On Geek and Sundry, if you if you're familiar with it, mm-hmm. and um, the, it, it was just kind of like a steamroll effect there, but uh, I I see that because uh, like um, as you were saying before, I was on YouTube uh, also before it was owned by Google, like um, I I I still would put like little nonsense videos on there, nothing crazy, you know, just like. Uh, like a comedy bit or something like that that I thought of. And, uh, but, you know, I just, I never, you know, thought it to myself as a younger man that, oh, this is going to get more popular. I never thought that, you know, because um, yep. I remember playing Resident Evil, the first Resident Evil, and saying, oh, I want to record myself playing this game because I think someone's going to need it later on down the road. Now, no one ever saw my VHS tips of me playing them, and I'm sure they've since been thrown away. But uh, I just remember thinking that, and it, it, it's so funny, like, uh, how that occurs. Like, uh, you know, uh, generally, the, the way of thinking is you got to think in a, in a forward motion, not a backward motion. But it's nice to think about if you could change something, you know what I mean? I, I, I always appreciate the different scenarios. Maybe that's why I'm such a fan of the show The Flash, because they have the multiverse and all that other stuff. But that's just, just my opinion. The, um... And I... And, like, like, I remember, like, way back in the day, I was going to make a YouTube channel about uh, <clears throat> little-known tips and tricks for old games, like... I know in the original Legend of Zelda, I know how you can like power yourself up to like a level that people would not see before, you know, Dungeon Four. 
Yeah. But getting getting all this before you even enter dungeon one. Hmm. hmm. That's like the the shortcuts in in arcade games, right? Where it's like, oh, if you just go in this one area, then you jump ahead. You know, I get what you're saying. Yeah. That, yeah. So, like, it was it was a neat concept, like, just to give like people like tricks, and it, it wasn't cheat codes or anything. It was actually how the game was built. So it was like beating the game at its own game. Of course, of course. Well, so I know that some people, like programmers, would purposely put cheats into their games but you only knew about them if you were like a fiend about the game you know what i mean like uh like the donkey kong glitch thing and like there was like a mario kart glitch type of thing where you had to press the button at the right time and you got a turbo boost you know what i mean like stuff like that that's right yeah that's right but like my mine was based on like not even like any glitches or anything like that it was just games like for instance like my thing with zelda the original zelda was open-ended so you could literally walk into the last dungeon right away it wouldn't let you get very far and you would not survive very long um but like i could walk into dungeon eight like right at the beginning of the game like all i needed was a candle yeah i just had to get like 60 rupees buy the candle i knew where level eight was burn the bush go into level eight and again it's one of these things where it's like if you weren't powered up enough if you didn't have the right items by that time you would get your butt handed to you of course and but you could also sort of cheese the game in a way that because it was so open-ended i didn't have to go into level one i could kill certain enemies that would drop bombs i can kill certain enemies that would drop rupees i could then use that bomb to blow a hole in a mountain where i would get more rupees i would burn a bush and get a heart container so the whole point at the beginning was to get enough money to buy the candle enough money to buy the bigger shield enough money to buy the blue ring which you know was a stronger suit yes uh and three extra heart containers to go get the white sword all before level one and you because the game was so open-ended like that, yes. you could do all of that. That's true, that's true. Uh, I remember, uh, I think it was a, it was Game Shark or it was Game Genie, one of the two. But the um, Final Fantasy... I know we had a Game Genie. Uh, oh, it's very possible it could be a Game Genie. But um, they had um, a hack for Final Fantasy VII, and it was you could play as Sethroth, and you could play as Eris, but after you can make them in your party, like you can have them in your party, but it, it would always like crash after like a certain period of time. And I just remember thinking like, I wonder how long it took this person to find the code for Sethroth, because he's only in one cutscene like in the game, you know, like where you're actually playing as him. And and you have to find that code, then you have to port the code, and then you have to add all this additional code to make the game work. And I was like, that's love right there. You know, like, this person spent oh, yeah. all that time just to dig through a little bit of code, all that code, just to get a little bit of lines. And it, it's like, it, it's, it's, it's impressive. It's impressive. Like, uh, um, uh, do you ever see the movie Idle Hands with Jessica Alba? I may have seen it once a long time ago. Okay. But 
I may just be aware of it. I don't honestly remember the movie. Oh, it, it don't worry about it. Um, well, it had it had Seth Green in in it as well, and um, it's basically about this uh, this guy. Uh, you know, I guess he's like the average Joe type of guy, and um, his hand gets possessed by the devil, and so it 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 like uh, it like acts up on him, and so he loves the next door neighbor who's Jessica Alba, and he's too afraid to talk to her. So, like, when he goes over to talk to her, like, the hand has a mind of its own and, like, tries to, like, brush her hair in a loving way or, you know, like, it, it, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's, it, it's comical. I don't know if it still flies today, but it was very comical. Like, he ends up being in a relationship because of the demon hand, because the demon hand did all the work for him, you know what I mean? Like, he, like, uh, okay. he was, like, the, the demon hand was, like, the icebreaker, if that makes sense. Yes, and so the uh, one of the dudes, like uh, just an and just a, a nobody character, I, I would assume he's like, oh, you know, I work on cars because if you don't work on cars, then you're wasting your talent. And then they say, you know what they say, idle hands, which is the hence of the name of the movie, is the tool of the devil. And and then, and it's like that couldn't be even more true because of this this scenario. And the um, point that I'm trying to make is that whatever you're working towards, at least you're working towards something. You're not just sitting there and doing nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Your job, your, you know, you're writing the great American novel. You, you want to be a, a sports person. I don't know. I just find it interesting. Oh, very much so. But um, anyway, so... In clo- uh, we'll just say in closing because it's 2.02 a.m. and I don't want to keep you up. I have a doctor's appointment at 11.30. Uh, what am I even doing? Uh, but that's not the point. The point being, it, th- I do this all the time. Um, so, in closing, you, what do you have to say to the people out there? Any closing statement? Sure. Or- um, closing statement is everybody everybody should find a way to be happy without hurting other people everybody should learn to find the balance in their life be that work life balance be that food exercise balance be that love and you know idle nothing balance um find your balance in life live it if somebody isn't doing anything to hurt you or other people leave them alone let them be them and leave the world a better place than what you handed it spread love don't spread hate um and yeah just like be, everybody needs to be positive got it got it well thank you very much dave if i may call you dave um yeah uh thank you very much for being part of my podcast uh i appreciate you and I appreciate the effort that you put into this conversation. And uh, that is it, everyone. Until next time, GG.